We came from Caladan, a paradise world for our form of life. There existed no need on Caladan to build a physical paradise or a paradise of the mind. We could see the actuality all around us. And the price we paid was the price men have always paid for achieving a paradise in this life. We went soft. We lost our edge. From Muad'Dib Conversations by the Princess Irulan. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, buzz Derek. Book. And we are moving on to the 28th of our buzz we're, book club. We're Mike. doing very well. I'm really excited about yeah. it. And uh, I got the white wine today. Yep. And I kind of went with, uh, your favorite one was the Jam Cellars, right? Yeah, I love that. Sticking with it, I got Jay Vineyards. So I don't got the, Aunt, was it Anne Marie? Anne Marie? Or... Wait, what? The two names that it was uh, an acronym oh, for? Oh, God, I can't remember now. I think it was Jen and... Uh, Maurice. Marcus? Uh, sure. I, I have I, a, think I we're wrong on all accounts. Anyways, we're just down to a J now. So <laughs> this might be after the breakup and the divorce <laughs> oh, and the no. vineyards have been split. But uh, we got a Pinot Gris from uh, 2019. Ooh. And what we should be expecting here, Mike, is uh, some kaffir lime, some green pear, and pineapple. With a complimentary compliments, uh, hints of jasmine and a distinctive minerality and mouthwatering acidity. <laughs> minerality See, with a none ooh. of those really spoke to me except for the last part, actually. The like, mouthwatering, yeah. You know what? It's because it comes with an instruction. <laughs> <laughs> mouthwatering. I got it. Step one. <laughs> but let me let me have a little sip here. I like it. Mm. Oh, that's that's good. It's very very subdued. It's not too sweet, which I like. Mm-hmm. And it's not too like uh, acidic or bitter. Um, yeah, I don't. That... The meltwatering acidity is almost like felt like it was going to be stronger with that on the back of the bottle. No, like I, I think it uh almost like a, a soft metallic kind of taste. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I get. Yeah, kind of oh. like the last note. Yeah, of it. and I'm okay with that. No, Nothing I, too crazy. I, I, like it's really, it's just really ba- well balanced. Yeah, I would even say like so, from beginning to end. How does this stack up among the white wines you've tried? Uh, I mean, I I think irony I put it at the top. Yeah, you did. I love. The uh, the Moscato was a trip. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, I'm okay with that not really going back one. down that road. Yeah, but I'm not. I don't regret it. it yeah, was, it was a good detour. Uh, it was like a side street in a tourist town. <laughs> You're like only once, but not if I live there. I love um, it. I'm, this is right up there. This is gonna go like I'll remember this one. I think. Yeah, no, this is good. I want to come back to it? But Derek, mm. I got some news. What do you got? Uh, we got new patrons. We got new patrons. New patrons. Oh, oh I love someone to dedicate a bottle of wine to. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, yeah, man. exactly. Just another reason to drink a bottle of wine, Derek. Yeah, I need the excuse. Who um, do we have joining us? Both of them. Uh, Spice Worlders now, Spice, right? Spice Worlders. I think we've settled on Spice Worlders. For now, yeah. <laughs> we have Che Johnson and Stratum coming in saying thank you. Thank you right back to them. Here's yeah. a, little, a little cheers for you guys. This bottle. Gonna be, we're drinking it to you. It's for you. Mm, you got a good one this week. Mm-hmm. Mm. So now I feel like they have to go and try it. Yeah, yeah. I feel bad for anyone that we uh, dedicate a terrible bottle to. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> oh, dang. But uh, yeah, thank you. Welcome to our little sketch. But Derek, what happened last time? Ooh, oh, that's a great question, Mike. I think I'm drawing a little bit of a blank. Where are we at now? Are we going to be doing a gurney chapter? I think we were with Paul and Jessica last we time. We were with Paul and Jessica. We did, uh, we did some science, science in the desert. Science. <laughs> 
We just played with foam. Uh, let's <laughs> be much. honest. We made our little volcanoes out in the desert. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at that, Mom. Dug our way out. Uh, but I think, and then we're going to leave them behind because this chapter. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, hey, we keep doing that to them. At least uh, this time they're not mid Thopter flight. That's true. <laughs> we finally in have the heart down. of the most terrifying thing yeah. on Arrakis. Though we're just going from one terrifying thing to the next, <laughs> apparently. Uh, it was a worm right after that. But this chapter we're going into. For me, it very much mirrors that uh, second chapter in book two, the Thufir one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Right? Because it's like one of the lieutenants. We start, we start out in the middle of a conversation. that, And the first line tells you who you're talking to. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's always going to start with that name. And then it's, again, him like having a miscommunication with somebody mm-hmm. through the whole thing. Well, but this time we get a name. We do. We do. We get a few names, actually. Yeah. I'll bring up the one I was kind of upset that we did get a name for. But before we do that, mm-hmm. we got a cool little quote in the beginning here yeah. from a new book, too. Oh, that's right. In our Irulan library. Moadib Conversations. Yeah. And I think the other one we had, we had conversations with Moadib, mm-hmm. right? So do you think that um, delineates some distinction between irulan talking to moadib or her sitting in a maybe listening in on moadib talking to other people yeah or even just going through records and compiling this oh, okay Try just pulling something right. out of the logs or her, her own records because yeah. she writes every book on moadib and saves them all <laughs> and uh, yeah i mean i this one is it's very straightforward i don't know what else we could really read into into it there wasn't anything kind of hidden in right. the text i felt but it was sort of like how do you think it applies maybe to this chapter okay so talking about them you know Caladan was great, but in or in order to pay the price for a paradise like that, the price is you lose your edge, you lose your your hardness, your instinct to sort of always be on guard. Sure, yeah, the the degree to which you are right, on guard, right? Yeah, uh, it's like Arrakis is like the exact opposite of Caladan. Yeah, in every way, shape, and form. Mm. Uh, and then we've seen that like with Thufir and Gurney now, how both of them like suffered terrible losses because they weren't as sharp as they maybe right. could have been or should have been. Right. But I think they were as ready as they could have expected to be. I don't think anyone expected it though. That's I what I'm that's saying. A, like, yeah, to, what right. they, to what they were expecting, like they were prepared for it, that. It reminds and... me of uh of guys Helen Mahayam's quote earlier in our conversation with Jessica about you can't shield the boy. Like, he has to experience these things. Yeah, the same theme is yeah. present of, like, this sort of, like, trial uh, is necessary in life. And mm-hmm. Hardship. Yeah. What was it Paul said in one of his quotes? Like, mm-hmm. uh, So the quote you're looking for is, there should be a science of discontent. People need hard times and oppression to develop psychic muscles. Yeah, that, so, like, even regarding, like, disregarding psychic muscles altogether, just in order to grow, in order to keep uh, or grow strong even or stay strong well no no i think it's still like i don't think psychic and in there means anything supernatural no. uh to an extent i think it still means like within your mind and mm. just like your mental faculties and kind of like all those abilities that you have not even you know yeah stepping aside fully from prescience but right. just like learning the thoughts uh how to process your thoughts and those kind of interactions so just like psychical growth yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all get to be a little it's a word i swear <laughs> We're putting our approval. It's Gaelic, I'm pretty sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, that's our, what we throw away. <sighs> but I think with that, I'm ready to go right into the chapter. Oh, yeah, then. please, please. Because uh, it, it's not my favorite chapter in uh, book two. It is kind of a little bland. Uh, again, it sort of is a very mirroring of Thufir's chapter, but then nothing exciting happens at the end, mm-hmm. where Thufir gets, like, you know, swarmed by Sarukar, and we watch that whole exchange. Right. 
But this one's gonna start off with Halleck. And like you said, he's mid uh, mid conversation. We got Gertie back. We do. We, we know for sure. We know 100%. We were only going, well, Paul was actually mourning him last chapter. When yeah. he spoke his name and he spoke it as if he was already dead. But uh, we think Thufir is is in the know that Gurney is alive. Yeah, somewhere. that he somehow got away or out. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he didn't get off Arrakis, but he got to the smugglers. And I think that makes uh, this is the last lieutenant we had to round up, right? We got Duncan. Duncan's rest gone. in peace. Yui, got... rest in peace. I mean, he <laughs> yeah. was a lieutenant, but he's up there. Yeah, he's uh, you know he's up there. He was he was part of the original trio coming in. Yeah, yeah, the teachers. Um, yeah, no, Thufir kidnapped. Yeah, or captured. Captured. And, uh, Gurney. Gurney, the great Gurney Halleck. So happy. Plenty of more uh, Gurney quotes going along. Oh, yeah, they just fall out of his mouth left <laughs> and right. And uh, so he's talking to a pretty interesting smuggler. When it gives us the description of him, the smuggler is in Fremen robes, and he has the half-tint blue eyes that tells of off-world foods that are in his diet. So you can have a half-tint, meaning that you're not, like, it's not just a spice-saturated diet. This guy's meals come from... Yeah. Other than Iraq. He's got some frozen dinners that are shipped in. <laughs> <laughs> some hungry, hungry Fremens. Yeah. Well, not Fremen. Not hungry, hungry Sonokar. Uh, yeah, but, he's uh, bringing it in from the Imperium. But he wears Fremen robes. Yes. And he, and honestly, I have a few things marked in here where I felt like he spoke like a Fremen. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well. Right? We can we can definitely talk about that. Awesome. Oh, yeah, I, I'm glad we will. Uh, and then, like I said, this is going to be, uh, oh, I guess I should give you his name too. His name is Steban Tuik, son of Esmar Tuik. So, I felt kind of sad that we met Esmar and then Esmar just friggin' died, mm-hmm. like right in front of us. So it wasn't just a throwaway name or character. We are going to sort of see a uh, a relationship between son and father. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see. Uh, is it Staban or Staben? You can go either one. Uh, I was going to go Staben. Staben. <laughs> oh, no. Ooh, too soon. Staben do it. It's my killer name. <laughs> Staben. Oh, um, God. That's Yui's killer name. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What do you want to go with? It, I, I think the pronunciation. I think Staban makes sense. It's pretty up in the air. Like, I do have that article on how to pronounce Gaelic speech. Uh, is it Gaelic? Gal- oh, Gaelic. Gaelic. That's, yeah, I can't. Uh, yeah, I'm going to mix those up. If I Call what? it Gaelic. Otherwise, I will always presume you're talking about. I know, about... but it's just going to slip out. Yeah, Gaelic okay. Because yeah, they're yeah. so similar. But I will say, going forward, whenever I say that, I'm meaning the <laughs> Dune universal language in this world. We're not going to talk about Celtic speech in any manner. Tell me about Tuik. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, okay. But I'm going to go with Stapen for it. So we have uh, this prolonged conversation between the two of them. And they're basically much, again, like the are trying to reach an understanding, but they kind of talk past each other a little bit mm. as they go. Though it's not nearly as... It's not ob- to the... It's not a cultural misunderstanding. Yeah, I was going to say it's not nearly as obscure. No. As like, the other one we were trying to water was just missing the mark. This one, Gurney's just not catching on that he's not allowed to kill. Yeah. Uh, he just can't fathom that. Yeah. Um, he really wants to kill some people. <laughs> And uh, as Halleck is sitting there, he does seem ready. He's like ready to offer thanks to uh, Staben because Staben is showing up. We get the feeling that uh, Halleck has been here for a while, sort of talking with the other men, maybe waiting for Staben to come around. And uh, Staben doesn't really accept his thanks. He just sort of tells him to sit down right there. He gives him like, ah, sit, sit down. We have a lot to talk about. Gurney's tired. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, Gurney's had a long couple of we- uh, nights as well. It, he Every time he like kind of sinks into it, you get this feeling of like he's really savoring that moment uh, as best he can. But uh, so going in, he steps into this office with Staben. And this is a pretty cool uh, sci-fi office. It's all set up like a bridge on a starship kind of deal. 
Okay. Uh, where we have this array of comms and stuff like that. But I love that the chair actually comes out of the wall that Gurney sits in. <laughs> and it like, gets a little button, this bucket seat swings out of the wall. It's one of the few times stuff like that happens. Do you think that's how all chairs happen? Like, there's no, one, no, it's, it's there's one in the Baron's room, and <laughs> Beast Robots look around like, where are the chairs? It just didn't hit the it's button. in the wall. <laughs> yeah, it's in the him. wall. That would be great. It's a new compact design. <laughs> he knows where the button to summon people is, but not for the chairs. Yeah. yeah. Or again, he just doesn't push it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably that. Keep it locked back. I like it, though. But then you were right where Halleck, he, he sank into the chair with a sigh, feeling its wariness. And uh, Halleck sees the wariness in the reflection of the table in his own face. He kind of gets caught up in that. We then have uh, Halleck sort of uh, talking with Tuak here. He gets, um, you know, this is where I key in that Halleck's been here for a while. Because mm-hmm. the men told Halleck that um, Stabon's father had been killed and killed by the Harkonnens at that. Mm-hmm. Or. Or, yeah, yeah. By a traitor among your people. Right. Tuak kind of counters to him. Mm-hmm. And Halleck, he, get, he gets a little angry at that, a little riled up. You can still get this man going, even when he has no, like, fuel in the tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he asks him, like, can you name the traitor? Tell me, tell me. He's like, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> Staben, like, I love this, where he says, we are not sure. That's not a no. First Fremen speech. Ooh, that's right? good. Always got to catch that one. And then for the rest of this, I just love how... Uh, so you can't ever like pin Staben down on anything that's not his business. Mm-hmm. He does not care what the Harkonnens are doing, what the Imperium's doing. He doesn't really care what the Guild is doing outside of his orders. Right. Uh, so as Halleck pushes him for it, he's like, he's very non-committal, and then we'll circle back to what he wants to talk it's about. Like we have our own closed cell, and we like to keep it that way. Exactly. You know what? As long as business is good, that's all I care about. Right. You know, keeping it in the black. Nothing else is a concern. I think that is the epitome of the smuggler. As long as things are going well for me, that's all that matters. Yeah, I get a real mafia vibe. Yeah, him, yeah, totally. Right? And how he deals with stuff. Halleck then uh, kind of cuts back at him. He's just like, ah, it appears we've a, de- uh, we've a deal more killing ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And this is where Tuart cuts back. I'm like, you will do nothing of the assort. You know, nothing to attract attention to us. He tells him, you know, we'll take you in. We'll take right. your men in. We get, you know, we will appreciate your gratitude, but do you... We- yeah. Do you think that uh, Gurney suspects Lady Jessica was, in fact, the traitor? Um, because I mean, he knows that Thufir suspected her. Right. So I, I guess that that was definitely among all the lieutenants because Duncan knew he was. I mean, he was supposed to watch her. Yeah. Yeah. Gurney would have been in like the loop of Lado's. Uh, right. Kind of, I mean, even Jessica sort of caught on with it. So uh, eventually, because I, mean, yeah. I guess one of the, the other point of that is that Lado wanted that to be obvious because mm-hmm. he wanted the enemy to ultimately get that message. Right. So. Right. Right. I would say, it, I get the impression, because Gurney, he does mention that he learned it from Thufir, but it doesn't seem like he believed it. You know, he doesn't, like, he's not pushing wholeheartedly. That's just the only information he has, right? Right. But to go back into this sort of Tuik, uh, offering him, him and his men sort of a place here, right? But he, And he tells him, like, we'll destroy you out of hand, though, if you make the slightest open move against the Harkonnen. And uh, this is that section I read to you last week, uh, a little mm. teaser for it. Stabon really establishing it like, you know, they killed my father. I'm going to take like uh, the revenge for that. Don't you worry. Mm-hmm. You sit down. Rushing in, though, is just a fool's errand. And like, and gonna... my father would agree. Exactly. You're going to bring everything right down around us if you just keep attacking. It's time to be patient. Time to wait. As I said, this is very mafia in my feeling of it. <laughs> Do you know when the Godfather came out? 
Uh, no. 1969. Oh, really? That's the book, even. So not oh. even like... Um, not even the film. Yeah. Uh, it's Coppola's adaptation of mm-hmm. it, but like Mario Puzo's book doesn't come out for another like four years. Oh, that's a good catch. So I don't know uh, what the mafia idea was in our zeitgeist at that time, because I'm pretty sure Godfather like shapes it considerably for at for, least where, For like our generation, for sure. Where pop culture runs yeah. into it. Yeah, and runs with it. Um, but I don't know what people would have known before then. There definitely would have already gone through some Cosa Nostra trials and stuff. But it is like, that's interesting. And that's totally the vibe I get from uh, Stabon here is he's a lot like Michael Corleone. We're like Michael's big line in The Godfather is it's business. It's not personal because mm-hmm. his father gets attacked and killed and they want to have revenge for his father. And Michael's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're just going to we're going to be calm, though. He does uh, emotionally act out. <laughs> but that's a different story, though. Different story. So I just thought it was cool being pre Godfather here. And uh, Gurney, his honor does not let this stand of like, mm-hmm. he's appalled by the very notion of like, you're going to let this dishonor to or this disrespect to your father, let's say, stand and not avenge it right away. That's wrong. Uh, and Gurney is trying to kind of sway him to do other lies. Um, and then we get to learn very firsthand about this relationship between the guild and the smugglers. We've only had Paul tell us in the, the tent uh, crazy, you know, mind dream that he went through where he explains it all to Jessica of like, how do you not see all these connections in this labyrinth between? Uh, and Stavon says like, I merely say, I will protect our contract with the guild. The guild requires that we play a circumspect game. There are other ways of destroying a foe. And I, I guess to that point, Gurney's like, oh, okay, I see where you're going with this. Even though I don't exactly see where he's going with this. You personally? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At that point, it's a really weird conversation because it goes like uh, bouncing off of walls kind of where mm-hmm. Gurney and my interpretation here is that uh, I think Gurney is like detective Gurney on the side. <laughs> well, he, he like asked some random questions, but I, instead of it being so random, I'm like, what if he's just trying to get any amount of information that he can? Maybe. Because he's been information starved since he broke off. True. So you don't know what little bit is going to be valuable. But he goes from like asking about Jessica, asking about the Fremen, asking mm-hmm. about this and this. And so we start off here where Stabon tells Gurney, you know, uh, that they're going to do this circumspect game. And Gurney, he's free to chase after Jessica if he wants. But she's probably dead and probably not the traitor anyway. And like you said here, he's like, well, through fear, he doesn't make many mistakes. To which, I mean, if I was if I was in the room, I'd counter. But he made all of his mistakes <laughs> in the past month, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> At least in the last seven days. Like maybe we weigh that a little bit in our consideration. <laughs> and this is why I feel like Gurney doesn't really have the faintest idea who the traitor is, right? But that he's doing this like detective work to find out, yeah. and he just has these little clues that he can run with. Uh, but now he's got statements sort of throwing him the other direction, you know, saying like, nah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that's it. Right. Um, but he does continually tell him that like, it's what the Harkonnens believe. And again, he's not ever saying no, and he's not really committing to anything, sort of passing the buck on that mm-hmm. one, right? Uh, but Stabin, he, he's got no time for speculation on this kind of stuff. I, lo- I love his response. This is academic. Like, it doesn't matter. This is not yeah. what we do. <laughs> like, what, what, this what is, are we talking about this guy? and suggestions, rumors, and hunches. Uh, now, Gurney, he's made it up here with about uh, 74 of his men. He's mm-hmm. doing uh, a lot better than how it was. How it was down to 20, 10 yeah. of which were wounded. Yeah. And Stabin does confirm to Gurney, though, that the Duke is dead and he has seen the body. Ooh. So that's pretty important. I don't think we've had anyone be able to make that claim just yet. How did he see the body? 
Um, I don't know. Did he transport the body up or something? Like, what's going on there? No, like Staben personally? Yeah. No, I would imagine maybe like uh, some proto-propaganda put around or something. You know, maybe like, I, I don't think it was like the Duke's murder scene, mm-hmm. but maybe like a composed form of the Duke, you know, in, right. in like a, a funeral kind of procession <laughs> that the Imperium would just put out there. So there's no, not even the hint of other people's, you know, scamming for power. Right. You do got to like nail this down uh, so that you don't have all the minor houses wondering what's up. But nonetheless, we get that, you know, the body being seen gives us a really, or at least something that Gurney can rely on to be de facto truth. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no ambiguity here. We're saying for sure he's dead. But what uh, about Paul? I know. I feel it's Gurney's required follow-up, right? Mm-hmm. And he specifically calls him Young Master Paul. Mm. And Halleck tried to swallow, found a lump in his throat. According to the last word we had, he was lost with his mother in a desert storm. Likely not even their bodies will ever be found. Bones. Bones, sorry. Ooh, even worse. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then Gurney comes back. So the witch is dead then? <laughs> All dead? Uh, but I love the formality. Now I'm starting to think that uh, Gurney does believe that, though. You think it's I've never heard him say that before. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Did he ever really even talk to Jessica? No, we never really got anything. Kind of. It was just her and uh, Idaho had a conversation. And yeah. her and Thufir. Her and Yui. Gurney was the only one she didn't talk to. Yeah. Such a shame. Could have had a great <laughs> dinner conversation. And then uh, Staben follows us up, though, with the news that Gurney really wants to hear. And that's who will control Arrakis next. Mm-hmm. The Beast Raban. Muthir Naya. The Count Raban of Lankenvale? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, is this where uh, Gurney kind of mentions, like, I've got a score of my own against Raban. I owe him for the lives of my family. He rubbed the scar along his jaw. And for this. Yeah! <laughs> yes, go Gurney! You're, you're falling back into that... Uh, that uh... Draw. A Texas draw. <laughs> can't break it. I imagine Gurney would have a good draw to make that wine, that <laughs> ink vine wriggle on his uh, chin as he does. Mm, sorry, that, that wine is delicious, Mike. Uh, You're the one who bought it. You're not complimenting me. No, no, no. Oh, thank you, Derek. Thank you, Derek. <laughs> Stabon, uh, he has to revive. Like, he sees the blood rage kind of boiling in Gurney. Even the mention mm-hmm. of Ravon, right? And he has to remind of Gurney, like, you don't go risking everything yeah. here. One does not risk everything to settle a score prematurely. Mm-hmm. And so Gurney, he ultimately, like, hearing this news, he's ready to release his men to Stabon, right? Right, now. right, Just right. Just like, you know, I'd like, give them over to you. You take care of them. But I want to stay here, uh, either with you or the Fremen. He doesn't really care which one at this point. Well, no, you said he was ready to release his men to Stabon? Yeah. No, he's ready to release them to their own devices. Okay, okay, to make their he's, own choice. Yeah, but regardless, he's saying here, he's going to kill Raban. Yeah, That's sort yeah. of the, what his proclamation is. Yeah, but I guess what I'm saying, ultimately, the only choice the men have right now are to stay with Gurney or to work off their debt with uh, Stabon. There is no, right. like, third option. So right, by right, Gurney, right. like, kind of abandoning them, they are left to Stabon. I would I would just make my case there. Okay, that's uh, fair. But I see, what, yeah, exactly what you're saying, because Gurney's going to make that point at the end of the chapter. Right. Right, uh, and ultimately, I think that more characterizes uh, how Gurney is kind of morally mm-hmm. than really worrying about what actually happens in the story to these like 74 mm-hmm. men on the side. So it's um, like, but with the, with the way you are, I'm not sure we really want you after all. <laughs> like, I don't think you're listening to what I've been saying. Yeah, I don't think you know, like he's looking over his uh, resume. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's like blood all over it. He's like, I don't <laughs> think you're the guy. Um, everyone else will be able to work their passage <laughs> off, but I don't know about you. And he, he tells Gurney, uh, whether a thought is spoken or not, it is a real thing and it has power. I love that. Yeah, I, I love that a lot. A good Fremen one, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you might find the line between life and death among the Fremen to be too sharp and quick. 
Ooh, that's good. Yeah, because uh, I feel like this is almost a uh, like a haggling of allegiance. Mm-hmm. Gurney wants to slay these people, but he's been given the hard no. Yeah, like, hard while, yeah. Why yeah. else would he like align himself with the smugglers if not to fulfill his goal? I mean, yes, they saved him. I think. Yeah. Well, remember, he was Gurney was an ambassador to the smugglers. True. So he's been out here, but he has relationships and you know, kind of connections mm-hmm. more so than the other lieutenants would have had uh, in coming out here. Right. But I, I think ultimately he is surprised that Esmar is not, I'm sorry, not Esmar, God rest him, Ooh. that uh, Stabon isn't more inclined to attack Harkonnens. And that catches him off guard. And mm-hmm. Stabon isn't willing to accept him he, until yeah. he will kind of put his blade down. Well, he probably went there with the intention of, they killed his dad? Like, I'm sure I'll be able to convince him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, this guy will get, co- well, you know, we'll go avenge the Duke, we'll avenge Stabon, yeah. you know, Esmar will do like it. It's like first sentence just off the table. Yeah, just no, 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 like no. Like, your no. money is not good. And, like, I think Halleck, or, yeah, I think Halleck saw, like, a burning Carthag in his future. Yeah. And it's not gonna be. And uh, Stabon's going to keep pushing back until he can get Halleck on his terms, like entirely. He's not willing to really negotiate any part of it. And now Halleck closes his eyes briefly, feeling weariness surge up with him. And he says, where is the Lord who led us through the land of deserts and of pits? Murmur. So our first first big burning quote, Mike. Jeremiah. (laughs) Of course you looked it up. Of course. And this one actually is, uh, he didn't uh, whittle this one down. It's a pretty lengthy uh, little paragraph. Okay. Uh, it says, neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. Ooh. It's pretty good. Uh, of course, Gurney quotes. <laughs> I love it. Uh, he always, yeah, he gets the perfect line yeah. right out of it too for where he is in the world. Now, like we said, uh, Stabon's he's telling Halleck to slow it down and he tells him like you know take it easy use everything you need here we have water we have green grass we have women like, like what yes. more is there in the world hang out speed is a device of shaitan ooh that's good ooh. shaitan's only come up a couple times right yeah I, I think uh, UE is saying shaitan's bargain shaitan's bargain yeah uh, and so that was just uh, translates over to devil yeah I don't think they had anything else with that right no I don't think so you know the deeper meaning and uh, we could a little Fremen line here where Stabon tells Gurney, I have little to do with how you'll meet tomorrow, Gurney Halleck. I can only help you meet today. Really good. Yeah. That's yeah. really good. I like, And there's like, there's a self-sufficiency in that line. You know, like you're on your own, but says, I can only help you in the present. You know, who knows where we're both going to be tomorrow. Because yeah, uh, Gurney still, all he can think about is he wants to kill Raban, mm-hmm. knowing that he's going to be here and he has nothing else I, left. I feel like he tries to slide this one. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, I'll stay and we like, can go women, kill that guy together. <laughs> Water, beast for bomb blood. <laughs> he's, like, he's like looking at the menu, like swiping, like, oh, I want that one. <laughs> I need it all. And like, yeah, trying to slide this in, like, we'll just go kill everyone together, right? And Simon's like, listen to me, fighting man. And he leans forward over the desk, mm. shoulders level with his ears, eyes intent. The smuggler's face was suddenly like weathered mm. stone. My father's water. I'll buy that back myself with my own blade. Very men. So frightening. <laughs> Father's water. Mm-hmm. That one, no ambiguity. So it's like I feel like St- uh, Stephen's almost like uh, like half Fremen in a way, just in the way he deals with things. That I like that. And yeah, maybe uh, with like with the half tint eyes. I think too. that's a good way of sort of like representing that. Yeah, of really selling like a him. physical manifestation of like where his actual allegiance or culture flies. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me just finish this next paragraph sure. here that goes with it. With uh, Halleck stared back at Tuick. In that moment, the smuggler reminded him of Duke Leto, a leader of men, 
courageous, secure in his own position and his own course. He was like the Duke before Arrakis. Mm. Hey, that's bringing us back to that early quote. Oh, like, uh, like going soft, his... like coming to Arrakis. The Duke was woefully unprepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put in the cast in this environment. And like, all of a sudden it's like, not I think enough. Gurney seeing the Duke like that is just odd. This is not play though. Yeah. Yeah. It was crushing for him yep. when that happened. So this is sort of like, manic desperation. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like this is sort of also like him in his little mourning phase a little bit. Mm-hmm. Seeing that sort of brings that all welling back up. And now I want to touch on uh, something real quick of how do you think this is the estimation we have of Stevan Chuek, powerful man, right? Able to step into his father's shoes pretty much with ease yeah. and without much warning. How do you think his father was? Esmar. Because like the Esmar we saw, well, one, uh, I think when we did the dinner scene, mm-hmm. maybe kind of said that him and Kynes were more friendly than they might have been. It, I mean, it definitely seemed like they were on the same page. It did. It yeah. Did. But like from this, it does seem like the smugglers are way more separate from the Fremen, right? Probably, but I bet they were actual friends. You think so? Yeah, I think there was definitely a respect for one another. No question there was a respect. But I think and they that, were actually friends too. And well, I see, I wonder if it's that or more of a, I think it is more of an allegiance. And that like, Esmar was definitely like lieutenant to kinds in a way. I don't know if that's true. You I think, think that they were separate entities. I think that there was uh, more of a personal element to it. Or at least that's my take on it. Sure. Yeah. Hey, I mean, you were never going to know. Because <laughs> if, if it was allegiance or anything like that, I mean, now he's in charge of the smugglers. You'd think that allegiance still holds true to the Fremen. If that, if you're, or to Kynes, if you're going with that train of thought. Well, does it not seem like Stabon is more inclined to the guild? In the guild's, like, whatever the guild wants. Or, okay, so what, like, I don't know enough, but if, wouldn't you say thing, that the smugglers themselves would just be that way in general? They would be, but I'm just saying, with the events going on, Stabon's not doesn't seem at all concerned with Kynes. Right. And what's happening, you know, where is Kynes right now? Mm-hmm. What are the Fremen doing? You know, like, he has Gurney in. We know Kynes is helping the Atreides. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have like any message to support Gurney or anything from Kynes. Mm-hmm. So I, I just don't know. Uh, it's curious. But like I loved uh, with that image we have of Esmar Tuik of like laughing, you know, in the face of danger at dinner and stuff right. like that. Like I really wonder what he would have been like in this situation. Maybe he was more lighthearted than his son was. All these kind of things I want to see happen. Because we even know how awesome Kynes is as a leader. Like, yeah, I just, yeah. I just have these really high expectations for what Esmar was like now. If hmm. these two men that are like bookending him on each side, and at least how we've met him, his old leader per se and his son, who you is know, like a student. You know, it's interesting because we've, uh, we've seen Esmar, we've seen uh, Liet, we've seen Leto, and we've seen... The children of two of them, I'd love to see like the son of Kynes sort of like see how they stack up to Paul and Staben. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, right, see if right. there's any similarities there. That's what we them need all. to be on the lookout for. We need the son of Kynes. Yeah, yeah. I like that even term as a term. Son, yeah. son of Kynes. <laughs> son of Kynes. It kind of sounds like a murderer or something. <laughs> <laughs> like son of Sam. Son of Kynes. <laughs> This bird talks but, like, to me. But, like, Paul immediately fills the shoes of his father. Like, mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. And Stephen has done this exact yeah, same thing. that's a good point. Do right, we, then, I hope that Kynes doesn't die, because we really, we, we just learned his name. You know, we gotta go find, we gotta go find Son of Piter. <laughs> son of Piter. <laughs> He's gotta be up there. <laughs> I don't think uh, any women would have wanted to get close to Piter. I don't think Piter would have wanted to get close to many <laughs> no. women. <laughs> have to torture them. <laughs> He's weird. All right. That's all I got for uh, my little Esmar thought. You have any oh. thoughts you want to put in there before um, we move on? No, I, mean, I think that's good. I think we can keep that's, going. I just want to take that little detour. Yeah, no, I liked it. So yeah, we have this, another Fremen phase, buying back the family's water. And uh, at this, Halakai does this classic. He offers him his blade. 
And Staben just sort of, he doesn't accept it right away. He sits back studying him. He's like, well, you're the only one of the Duke's lieutenants to escape. Mm -hmm. You know, your enemy was overwhelming, yet you rolled with him. You defeated him the way we defeat Arrakis. And then that's another one, defeating Arrakis. That's kind yeah. of a Fremen, a Fremen stance to the world, right? And then uh, he tells him, we live on sufferance down here, Gurney Halleck. Arrakis is our enemy. Gurney kind of comes back, one enemy at a time. Is that it? That's, That's it. it. Yeah. You're catching on now, Gurney. You're learning a lot faster than Thufir did with Kyle. And uh, But Gurney, he does turn it back to the Fremen, right? He guides his conversation. He's, uh, this is where, again, Detective Gurney, I think right. he needs a little bit more. He realized he was <laughs> onto something. He has the negotiation in a good spot. Like, okay, I know Esma or Stabon's not going to bail on me. Let me try a few more questions. And he throws them out there. But Stabon responds much like Kynes, um when he says, when Kynes like says too much and is like, yeah. like oh, I got to change topic. I'm like, not too far. Uh, but Gurney doesn't relent. And he starts bringing up like, look, why doesn't the guild route any ships in over the Southern Hemisphere? Which is like, that seems like a weird tangential offshoot, right? But he then follows it of like, you can see greenery down there. I've or heard there's rumors. rumors, right? I've heard talk. And Stabon, I love it. He sneers at this, like rumors. And that's the kinds part I kind of get wrong. Just being like, he's not willing to talk about this. Right. And do you think it's because he doesn't know? Or like, I'm kind of having more of the inflection that like, he's not supposed to talk about this. Probably not. Especially with what you told me about uh, the guild and the Fremen. And sort mm -hmm. of like, they have somewhat of an agreement behind yeah, the like, scenes. Like, I don't think Staben actually knows, but I imagine like he has this order. From he's the just been to be told like, like, hey, don't fucking tell people this. Well, or just you never go over the south. Right. No questions. No, you know, that's yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Just you just have this one message of like, yeah, one rule. Nothing ever. And we'll do our business. Mm -hmm. uh, if you do, you're going to be left here. It's worm fodder. Right. And yeah, honestly, you don't mess with the guild. <laughs> no, no, no. Never mess with the they guild. They say no once and you're done. Even guys, hell of a high on doesn't fuck with the guild <laughs> as much as she hates the guild. But Gurney now, uh, after he sort of stave on sneers this off, Gurney tell, you know, acknowledges that, you know, the Fremen, they kill Harkonnens. And this is something, you know, that's what Gurney wants. Like, to why do, don't so I just go with the Fremen instead? Maybe that'll be more worth it for me. That's what I feel like, almost sort of like haggling allegiance in a right, way. Right, because he has that tentative right. yes at this point. And he's like, well, these guys will let me go kill everybody. And maybe I'll learn about They've this greenery. They've got a sign-on bonus of Harkonnen <laughs> blood. I mean, <laughs> yep. I really like it. He's got a sign over all your water. favorite color. <laughs> Uh, but Stabon tells him, you know, oh, and what, you know, what are the fruits that the Fremen attacks bear? You know, the, there's a prog pogrom against them right now. They're being hunted to extinction at this point. Uh, and Gurney's just like, well, is that really because they were killing Harkonnens per se? Mm -hmm. You know, like, and this I feel like is a disguised way to maybe just ask a direct question to Stabon. But is this just maybe something that's so taboo you want to ask it tangentially? Because I feel like he's asking him directly, like, hey, do you know there was a car down here yesterday? Right, right. <laughs> Didn't you see that? Yeah. Um. Oh, man. But we, we get the same answer back, right? Yeah. Uh, we just get rumors. That's all. And that's because it's not in Staben's wheelhouse. So he doesn't care about it. It's not his concern. He doesn't even want to, like, look into this matter. Because, honestly, it's probably more dangerous for him to know anything. Yeah. Right? To any kind of thing, because if anything, it's like, this, don't give me ideas, because I'm not supposed to know this shit. Yeah, and because this is the one guy who is going to go off, right? Right, like his people maybe want like that truth sayer plausible deniability yeah, yeah, yeah. to an extent of like, I don't care who stops me. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tuick tells him like, I believe what I see with my own eyes. Make your choice, fighting man. Ooh, I love that. Always fighting man, fighting man. Yeah, but 
if he makes if he only believes what he sees with his own eyes, I think he did see the Duke's body then. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean like He, he said that though. No, yeah, but I was thinking he saw like a picture, but I guess I'm thinking like it was like laying in state maybe in some Oh, way. no. Like, I I, I, think I he, thought you were talking I, about he saw the actual body. That's what I'm thinking now. If he's okay. telling him I only I believe what I see with my own eyes. And he did tell us for sure that the Duke was dead. Maybe right. like there is a I literally went up and checked. Which is weird that he assumes that like Paul and Jessica are dead because like they went into a storm, but I didn't actually see them die. Well, he never commits, right? He does right. always leave that little uh, caveat of like, you know. But he believes with the Harkonnens. Exactly. And uh, I mean, uh, grit, I think all circumstantial evidence does point to the impossibility of their survival. It is circumstantial, right? but I think, I don't know, based off of what he's saying here, that's like very contradictory. Okay. I feel like he's maybe just sort of like he is trying to leverage Gurney towards his side. Okay, you think he's sort of just I think uh, yeah, he was he was going with the uh, I'm not going to say no, but not going to say yes either. I'll let you come up with your own assessment. Okay. I, th I think he is trying to leverage Gurney. I like it. Which I is why again I think it's more of a uh, a battle of, or a, like a haggling of allegiance. Right, between the two of right. them. And I I think he's being frankly honest. Uh, but I love I love that interpretation. You're not you're not trusting this man, Mike. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I, I don't trust anyone anymore. He's got something going behind him. I'm learning, Derek. <laughs> and so what do we end up with here? Oh, we had a fighting man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he said, like, me or the Fremen. I will promise you sanctuary and a chance to draw the blood we both want. Be sure of that. The Fremen will only offer you a life of the hunted. Halleck hesitates, and he's sensing wisdom and sympathy in Tuick's words. I love that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's where I feel like this. They're definitely connecting, too, on another mm -hmm. level. If they haven't already had this camaraderie before, in a way. But he was troubled for a reason he could not explain. So Stabon then sort of tells Gurney, like, look, just trust yourself in this decision. Like, your decisions got you this far. Above all. And that's another kind of Fremen attitude, right? Uh, yeah. Like relying on yourself, no matter what. Even in this, where we need to make this whole kind of tribe decision, I'm going to say, like, this is going to be, use everything that got you here to make this next Even decision. Even so, I think he's, like, he's stacking the deck, I feel. Like, this is a very silver tongue kind of ploy where he's, Getting Gurney to make his own decision, but he's already implanted that choice in uh, Gurney's head. He's definitely dissuading him. I mean, he. I think in a way, Stabon, I get the feeling he he needs the comforts of the Imperium a little bit. Oh, no, totally. Right? And like just in how maybe how he was raised or something. But he definitely sees like the Fremen as having like the bad end of the stick and doesn't understand why anyone would choose that life, it seems. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, that's not worth it. Come on now. You can get everything if you stay here. And then there's also the bit where, like, he is is desperate for men. We're going to find Oh, well, I think that's that thing, though. Right? But he's not going to put that on the table. Right, yeah. You don't lead with that in negotiations. No, no, you always hide that. And, like, Gurney just barely reads into it at the end, if I recall. Oh, yeah. And so we kind of get to this last point where Gurney's sitting there. He's thinking about it. He uh, needs to, again, con just confirm the Duke and Paul are dead. And Staben repeats the classic line of the Harkonnens believe it so. Mm -hmm. And so then we, we get to this final point of uh, a grim smile touched to Xmel. But it's the only trust I give them. Uh, I, I love that a little bit. Uh, whenever, you know, it's like when Paul uh, made that joke about the education of the Harkonnens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Everyone's got a Harkonnen joke. <laughs> we all got a good burn on the Harkonnens. Uh, so Halleck, he says, then it must be. And he held, holds out his right hand, palm up, thumb folded flat against it in the traditional gesture. I give you my sword. And that's it. Gurney is now officially with the smugglers. 
He has left the Atreides for the first time in decades. That's really sad. Yeah, he was the war master. He trained the other war master so he could play Balaset more. Mm-hmm. He had this great life going. Uh, and it's something where, like, I, I love the fact that he had to ask again to make sure that the Duke and Paul were both dead. Right. Just one more, just hold, not, like, I have to be told so this. So he like, pledges his sword to them, but if he finds out, like, Paul is alive, what does he do then? Because he's, got, he's a, sort of uh, promised himself to two different houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know how that would really play out uh, if one supersedes the other. Ooh, can you break an oath? I, I don't know. I don't that's, like, character. I'm not it. sure. Mm-hmm. We'll have to keep an eye out for it. And uh, Gurney's he's got his new master now. And at this Stabon again, he tells him, like, Gurney, or, you know, he gives Gurney the option to be like, hey, uh, you know, if you can convince your men, that'd be great. And Gurney's like, okay, so it is up to me. And uh, he's like, of course, you know, I want these, I want the men to come willingly in a way. And Gurney's telling him, like, most of these men are Kaladin born. Even before that, it's just like, you wish me to persuade my men as well? What do you mean? Can't you just tell them? That's kind of my impression. Like, what do you mean? You have to convince them? Just tell them they have to stay. Mm-hmm. Like, they're your men. Or do they? Well, and, like, Stabon sees it as, like, they would follow him no matter what. Too. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I think we all would have assumed that. Especially by, like, how this chapter goes to the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, from where you were just saying, like, Gurney, he reads into that, that oh, Stabon needs these men. He mm-hmm. must be kind of desperate for help for a couple hands. Uh, Stabon doesn't push on this thought, though. He just sort of comments, like, he thinks they'll follow Gurney if you decide to join him. Just tell them you're coming along. Like, what are they going to do? <laughs> Go back in the desert without you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Gurney, like, they don't have options. Yeah, they really don't. Um, and Gurney sort of like, I feel like he kind of puts it off, uh, whatever this is going to be. He tells him, like, well, for right now, I just want to see to their quarters and their well-being. And Stephen sort of, like, lets him go with it. Uh, he uh-huh. says, consult my quartermaster. Drisk is his name. This is the name, Mike, I'm kind of upset about. Drisk? Drisk. Cool. Space name. I'll give you. A great space name. Great, great D&D name, too. I'm just going to Drisk with a Q. But my point being, we never meet this guy. <laughs> he gets a name. This is like party all over again. <laughs> So Drisk is Tuik's quartermaster, and we just know that fact, and we'll mm. never meet him. Yeah. Bye, Drisk. Bye. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. You got a cool name. And uh, Tuik just says, tell him, you know, uh, it's my wish you receive every courtesy. And he goes off. Uh, he's got some shipments of spice to see, too, right now. Mm. Which, uh, which, I feel like that's kind of Leto left Gurney way back. Yeah. Oh. Remember when he's like, I'm gonna, I gotta deal with this. Is our spice shipment going up? Oh. Like, Gurney's gonna go go. I don't think. It, I don't think it's the Atreides spice shipment anymore, though. No, not quite. This is like nice, stolen, off the books kind of spice. Ah. And uh, how it just, just disappeared. No yeah. Atreides. <laughs> right. No Atreides. No name no on the spice. Just a bunch of empty warehouses. <laughs> gotta do this fast, though. Alex sort of just tells him like, "Oh, fortune passes everywhere." Everywhere to accept. A time of upset is a rare opportunity for our business. I think that's definitely what happened then. I think that goes right over Gurney's head. Uh oh what that is a trade. <laughs> that it spice. used to be Leto's spice. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I mean in a way they never really even got their hands on it. Uh we lost as soon as we started getting well, we spice. We got we got like our first shipments off initially. Right. We got like one we we got like three days of spice harvesting yeah. before like shit the pan. We got some, that's yeah, what I'm yeah, saying. There might be one uh one or two uh silos full. <laughs> But yeah, I wonder where it's going to. Is that destined for the Emperor? It could Probably. Be, could be his secret stockpile. Yeah. Gurney moves through a lock port, uh, and we get the succinct movement of air goes around. To like, And that's just sort of, a, uh, it's like a slow whisper mm-hmm. is what that means. Uh, so this is very much like your classic, of like a Star yeah. Trek kind of door opening and closing. Space doors. Space doors. 
And uh, he steps out of the office and into like this assembly hall where uh, him and his men had come in before. And it's this narrow hewn cavern. Uh, it's chewed out of the native rock and it's all smooth surfaces on it, which lets you know that they used a cutting laser to cut this all out. So I think that's pretty cool and gives you an idea. It must be like look almost polished in how fine it is. Because uh, I wonder if that laser too like melts it a little bit uh, and when it cuts it. And then the ceiling stretches away in this continuous arc, uh, which permits internal air convection currents. That was kind of neat. I'm like, Ooh, that's, that's kind of a cool that's thing. Smart, yeah. A little bit of science. It's not going to be super stale in here. Like they think about that mm-hmm, and carving mm-hmm. these things out. Uh, and then otherwise, we just have weapon racks and lockers lining the walls because this is going to be this is an outpost with a purpose. It's not right. a, a little uh, resort up in the plateau. I just love that. Like, hey, Gurney, no killing. Then he walks by this and, like, giant <laughs> weapons rack. Like, ooh, <laughs> it's just like every night. <laughs> yeah. you possibly imagine. Oh, I want to so bad. <laughs> And how, like, he looks around this room, and I love it. He notes uh, all of his men that can stand are standing. With yeah. every wounded man, there's an Atreides companion with him. That's the Atreides way. Hell, the Atreides yeah. training. We care for our own. It held like a core of native rock in them, Halleck noted. Mm-hmm. Something to be proud of. And now I think with this, I can appreciate Thufir's men a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And them being like, you know, they can't have his body. Like, fuck them. Oh, yeah, taking Arky yeah. away? Yeah. I think Definitely. that like that was a little bit lost on me without this as reference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, I kind of wish that uh, if you could maybe go back and edit these a little bit, putting just that line mm-hmm. of these two info bits about how the troopers act in with Thufir's men that were uh, scattered on the rocks. Yeah, kind of like Bender. Yeah, that would have been really cool uh, and hammered that home a little bit more. Um, but at this, as he's sort of like looking in, this lieutenant kind of cuts through the crowd and comes up to Halleck and he's holding that nine string mm-hmm. battle set in his hands. And he tells him like, "No, sir." You know, Matai, I don't think he's going to make it. He's got one last request. You know, if you could play the song that he loves, the song, My Woman. And he's like, I know it. I know it. Like, I know. He comes over. And uh, when the lieutenant's telling him Matai's not going to make it, I love that he mentions that uh, the only reason Matai won't survive is because at this outpost, we only have outpost medicine. We don't have access to bone or organ banks. So that should let you know. But that's part of a staple part of this universe. You can get a whole organ replaced. Right. Like or bones. Or, yeah, they're just available. Yep. You can get Talaxlu eyes. Uh, you can grow oh. anything you want. Like, yeah, there are mechanical versions of them. There are organic versions. Jeez. Uh, so it's something that would be readily available. And definitely. Oh, we haven't run into anyone with like a, a prosthetic. Nope. <sighs> no, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to in this book. It's not really explored other than just sort of this offhand mention here of just okay. that it's an available thing. Uh, and then it will come up in like Dune Messiah and a couple of the other ones. So Halleck uh, proceeds his way through. And I love this. He, he tells him he knows this thing and he gets the ballast flicks up the multi-pick. And the he's... multi-pick that still bugs me. I don't know what it is. Uh... I have tried so hard to figure out what this is. Just a pick, it seems like. I Why think... is it multi? I... Dude, I think it's like a pick. And then you like spin it and it's like three picks attached together. Oh my I, god. I think you can just Is hit it me. like a multi-tool where it's like different picks for whatever? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know either. Maybe. I'm angry, Derek. I, I'm thinking I'm just going with the, it's a couple different picks that you strum simultaneously. Okay. Maybe it's got like three frets on it or something. Like um, I don't even know why you would need that though. <laughs> like you could just slap all the strings. Why, the th- why do you need a gyroscope <laughs> inside of it? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Why you need it. <laughs> But the point is, though, Halleck, he gets it, he strums it, and it's already been tuned by someone. Because they knew. They, they know, they know how to tune Gurney's ballast. Oh, I, I was thinking it was more for the moment. 
True. I think I think that's why. I don't think if they do it Well, not time, to waste any time. Yeah, this guy's yeah, dying. Exactly. Where I think like it was like they've been waiting and you know, they just saw the boss and yeah. like, get him over here right now kind of deal. And that and when Halleck, as he walks over, there's a burning in his eyes. Mm. And he has to, you know, drive it kind of out and he strolls because he's got to show up there. He needs to be a little confident, right? Because he's, he's still the commander. I think this is something special, too, where like I, we don't know how many men Gurney usually has under his command. Well over 300. Yeah, because I was going to ballpark around yeah. two fears, remember? Yeah. But, um... It seems that, like, he places through, I mean, his bouts at all time for people, and he always takes requests, but it seems like he knows everyone's favorite song, too. This guy's got a memory. He can memorize the Bible. Sure, yeah, sure. It's like, but he, he does seem to, like, definitely have uh, a lot of empathy towards his own men. Because mm-hmm. uh, the guy even says, like, he says, you'll know the one. Uh, he's asked it of you often enough. Like, yeah, and that's enough for him. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think I, at first I was going to kind of push back, like, a song for each person, but you're right. I think it's more of, like, it's all the songs in his repertoire and he kind of tags the song for each of his, you know, these right. people in his crew of like, ah, oh, this one always gets this guy going mm. or this one is always when we're drinking and it's getting kind of sad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, yeah. Do, do you want to, those are, those out? are his mood moments. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to read this song out? Yeah, sure. I just want to figure you're going to, this is another musical part. You oh. can put some interlude to you lock me into some music. Yeah. All right. I could do that. My woman stands at her window, curved lines against square glass. Upraised arms, bent down folded, against sunset red and golded. Come to me, come to me, warm arms of my lass. For me, for me, warm arms of my lass. The singer stopped, reached out a bandaged arm, and closed the eyelids of the man on the litter. Halleck drew a final soft chord from the ballast set, thinking, now we are 73. Mm. What a way to end a chapter. That gave me shivers just now, even. Yeah. It's it. Oh, it's because it's Halleck. Oh, it's because you can, you can really emotionally connect with him right there, and he's sort of like he's playing this man out. This guy who's like traveled, who knows what they did for three nights in the desert, making their way up to this plateau with the smugglers, right? Mm-hmm. But it definitely was hard felt and hard fought. Now we are. And here's 73. the thing: Halleck didn't even sing it. One of the other men sung it. Right? Yeah, Halleck yeah. just plays, and there's someone singing next to him. You're right. Oh man, moving so oh, god. Uh, so they're just. I can see uh, his group of men like moving through. They must. Uh, it must always be like that, right? I bet like a few guys sing with Gurney. And it, oh, it must be oh, something sure. that's, like, awesome well, to do. Yeah, I mean everyone's familiar of it. It's easy to them even. I think in a way too. This moment alone that answers our question earlier. Like, will your men follow you? Of course they're gonna to the end of the yeah. Year. Yeah, they would go out into the great erg with Gurney if he went out there. Oh, if Gurney was the captain of the Ampoliros and he made the call, <laughs> we're going They're at their guns <laughs> to the end of time. Oh my God. So good. So good. It, yeah, I feel like we just got to take a second, Mike. Oh. <laughs> You're like reminiscing in this we're, chapter. Oh, why don't we refill these glasses real Let's quick? Let's refill these glasses. Uh, well, while we refill, Derek, I got some cool news. Ooh, what's up? You're uh, just full of news today. Uh, yeah, I got news left and right. Uh, we sort of have our, our first sponsor in a way. Get out. We partnered with Audible recently. Yes, we did. Which is exciting because I use Audible and I love Audible. So do I. So it's really cool that we sort of get to have this affiliation now. So how, how does this work? All right. So they're uh, right now they're offering a free 30-day trial to our listeners if they visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod, which is really cool that we get our name at the end of a little like website. I, 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 That's I, cool. Well, let me try. Audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. That, ooh, that felt good. That felt very that radio-esque. Felt really oh, man. We're big boys now, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it's, it's pretty cool. So... If 
if you've never tried Audible before, every month they give you uh, free credit, two free credit if you're an Amazon Prime member, and that you can use those to choose from thousands of titles like Dune, which is what I did when I first signed up for Audible. Uh, yeah, I, anyone that doesn't have it, I'd highly recommend it of like one. That's the obvious one for you guys to pick mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. I think the voice acting is pretty great. Uh, and it's, oh, it's so fun to just put that book on. It is. And sometimes they've bit. got great music. Like I said, when the, the Fremen, uh, Kyle's friend, crashed the Thopter into the Sardaukar ship and blew mm. it up, there was some amazing music with that. Yeah. And I felt chills when I, I was listening you, to you that. You get some like, uh, some wind. Going yeah. over the oh, yeah, dunes, every you get so some often. orchestral scores, kind of crescendoing. But uh, like. so it's a nice companion to listen to. But at the same time, they've got a bunch of other books too. I listened to uh, Neil Gaiman's The Sandman recently, and that's a graphic novel. They did a complete audio version of it, which is amazing to listen to. Ooh. It's uh, narrated really by good. Neil Gaiman as yeah. well. Awesome. It's got James McAvoy like voicing Morpheus, the Sandman. Who? Cat Dennings playing whoa, Death. Whoa, McAvoy also is uh, oh, in the Dune. Oh, in the right, sci- you're telling me that the sci-fi miniseries. Ah! Yeah. Small world, small world, Derek. Small world, everyone shows up. But uh, yeah, no, it's really awesome. And the cool thing too is with this 30-day trial, if you don't like the, the service whatsoever, they'll send you a little courtesy message. They'll ask if you want to continue or not. You can say no, but you still get to keep the book that's, or two oh, books, whatever that, it is. That's what I really love with Audible. When you guys get your credits and you use them, you have those books forever. Even when you cancel your account, you stop spending money on them, you get to keep your library of books. So. It, I have exactly. a library of 34 books at this point because I've had it over. I've stopped uh, for a couple times. I've come back like a year yeah, later yeah. and pick it back up. And I love that they're just all there. It's all piling up. If you appreciate the value of a good book and you read Dune, so of course you do, like we're going to get you a free book. Let us help you get a free book. If you guys need a recommendation, reach out to us. Again, visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. Mike. That's so awesome. Ah! <laughs> so... Is there anything else we need to we need to plug in there? Do we need to give it? No. Any more praise for our sponsor, Overlords? I'm, finding sponsors isn't super easy. I'm working on it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> for now, it's the, the Patty Shaw sponsor of Audible. <laughs> so, what's our deep dive? Oh, Mike, we got a we got a good deep dive. Do we? We got a deep dive that goes so deep, I had to cut it off because it, <laughs> it, it went it went it went too far back. I'm like, that's, that's too much. So. We, we're going to do the, the Guild Foundation. Uh, oh. Yeah, from when they started. Um, it's definitely, it's like a, a tale of father and son is what I'm going to tell you today. But okay. there's sort of a phase that goes before the era I'm going to talk about. So we are going to talk about Space So it's Guild. like a two-parter? Sort of. There are just two stories that are linked. Let me, let me tell okay, you yeah, sure, where sure, it breaks sure. off. So we're going to talk about the Spacing Guild. Okay. There's an organization that comes before the Spacing Guild. And that is the okay. Society of Mystic Mariners. Mystic Mariners. That, that sounds cool? so good. That's really cool. What does that even mean? Oh, I can't tell you, Mike. Because what? I want to save this one uh, next month uh, when we have our Patreons vote on potential stories. Oh, uh, you're gonna toss it into the pool? I'm gonna toss this story of what I'm calling the Senva Venport story. Senva Venport. It's gonna be the background of the Society of Mystic Mariners. Okay. The story of Norma Senva. And her husband, Aurelius Venport, and how they established faster than light travel, essentially. Okay. It's really cool. It bundles a lot up. It has this really great society name. Okay, okay. Mike, I found a rogue Bene Gesserit. What? I found her. She's real. What? She exists. Ah! She's in the Senva Venport story. Ah! Uh, and, oh, oh, well, it gets even better. Also, a potential uh, Ampeliros. Wait, what? I found it might be the Ampheleros as well. Okay, There's okay, a lot okay. in that one. All right, but all right. It's going to be on for you guys to vote next month uh, for the November Patreon vote. I think within God. each week, I'm going to be able to give you a little preview 
I uh, kind of like this a teaser of what will be on that list. All right. So this is the first one. We got two more weeks You're following You're killing this. me, Derek. You're there. absolutely killing me. Don't worry. Let's let's fast forward them. All right. Let's jump right into what I can tell you. So All right, please. Let's talk guild. So the development of the guild itself. It begins shortly after the disappearance of Aurelius Venport and the death of Norma Senva. See previous story. <laughs> God damn it. I know. Okay. <laughs> so the society, I just have. So they're the founders? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I have to tell you about them. I know as much as it's teasing and I'm not going to answer questions. <sighs> uh, but because they set up that society, that society is pivotal to the beginning of this story. Okay. And they're the Mystic Mariners. Yeah. The Society of Mystic that Mariners. That sounds like a baseball team, to be honest. But I mean, there is the Mariners, but like the Mystic Mariners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, I was going to say space, but it's really a fantasy. One of that. <laughs> I love it, the Mystic Mariners. So that society is basically like a school. And do you know where it is? Do you know what planet it's on like? No. I only ask you this because you do. You, or at least we've mentioned it. Not that you specifically Is it a cause? <laughs> God, so close. That was how I got you last time. Right? <laughs> when in doubt, just guess a cause. For plants. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Two pile. Oh. Yeah. So I get to use a great word, Mike. Two pillions. Two pillions. <laughs> Two pillions. I love that. Isn't it really? It's really nice. Um, so this society, it's on two pile and it's like a school and it's for gifted to pillions. To join, to join the ranks, basically, and flush out the society. Uh-huh. Uh, otherwise, it was established by these Ixian refugees who come to Tupile. Mm. So the core of the Mystic Mariners were all like Ixians before, but they realized like, well, we need to keep growing as like a group in a society, and eventually we're all going to age out, you know, if a hundred okay. years from now. So let's build a school. We can bring these guys into the loop, get them up to our level of tech. Is this and stuff. before like you know Ixians were always doing like weird things, like twisted mentats? Definitely, because we're um, just post-Butlerian Jihad. Okay, so like we've just freed ourselves from machined dominion. Yeah, and well, and specifically, we just had the Jihadis roll by, or the Butlerians, rather, (laughs) and like set everybody back like they did to that one planet Mm. where they reduced it down to windmills. Right. (laughs) Yeah, so these guys, the Ixians are like, they are tech-savvy. They want to get back to building these Like, we want to do stuff, but we got to be hush-hush about it. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so these Ixians that have established this school, because again, they've left it, they were refugees. Mm-hmm. Uh, these Tupilians are joined in, and we get one Tupilian in particular we're going to zoom in on right now. Okay. Freelo Mason. Freelo Mason. Freelo. Freelo. Freelo Mason. <laughs> What's up? <laughs> that's, that's a term we use in gaming. Freelo? Freelo. What does it mean? There's something called a ELO, which like measures your uh, ability to rise. And what is okay? Hold, I gotta keep. Okay. Up. What does ELO stand for? Oh God! Uh, I just wanted to dig into that. Oh, yeah, yeah, you sure, used sure, up sure. an acronym for something. This is all over my head. Derek, I had to look this up because I actually didn't have an answer to that. But I've learned something new. Hey. So ELO is like a. a it, was, it was a ranking system that used to use in League of Legends, which is the game I play. It was uh, a ranking system inspired by a system developed by Hungarian American physics professor Arpad Elo. Oh, I never friggin' knew. I thought it stood for something. That's I love when we find people at the bottom of this. Professor Elo played chess at a competitive level with the United States Chess Federation. What? The governing body for chess competition in the country founded in 1939, and at the time, the USCF used the Harkness rating system developed by someone else. De- oh, Kenneth Harkness. I'm, 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 I'm sensing a theme here. So that's what the ELO system is. That's so um, cool. And I, hold up, I just want to say, Cheops Master. Cheops Master! Carry, carry on! But, so that's where ELO comes from. When Thank we you. say Freelo, it means like, oh, this game, choose a champion or whatever that's broken, free game, free ELO, it's Freelo. 
love. Oh my! So you never even knew you were using a man's line. No, I didn't. <laughs> that's, that's really funny. It's really good. Oh, that's good. So now we are free love. <laughs> so, so wait, okay, you're telling me this is the term you would use when you aren't going to be able to play as well or you have no experience with it, so you're just sort of throwing the match away? No, this is when you, like, pick a broken champion and you just steamroll because, like, it's too good. Okay. You basically climb the rankings for free. Okay. Because, you you know, no one can, hey. like, fight against it. Okay. We were just kind of saying, like, if this would ma- I think that guy's kind of match up with this guy. Oh. He steamrolls everyone. Oh, God. He's fucking great. <laughs> Uh, okay, so one, let me tell you about a little bit about Freela Mason. I got his background here. Uh, <laughs> Nelly was ahead of his time. Yeah. So he's going to live uh, to the ripe age of 76. Mm-hmm. He'll have a good life. Uh, he's born in 105 before a guild, sort of 100 years prior, and he's going to end up dying 29 before a guild. So he won't make it to that guild threshold, but he's going to set up all the pieces for us. And like I told you, we're in a father-son kind of tale. This is the father. But he was a handsome, he's a good-looking guy. And it said he harbored interstellar ambitions equal to those of the uh, Ixian exiles. Because that group of Ixian exiles that came here, they're shipbuilders. Mm-hmm. And they want to build um, faster than light travel again and do all this stuff that like the Butlerians were kind of against mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. <laughs> shunned on. Um, and now we have a Tupilian who's like right there with them. <laughs> it's a great word. <laughs> I love that word so much. So when uh, Aurelius Venport disappeared in 79 uh, before Guild, Mason assumed uh, command of this dispirited society. So they're all a little crestfallen. Their leader, who's really built it from the ground up, is just gone. Just gone, yeah. Yeah. Uh, This guy steps in and he's like, he sees all this room for opportunity. And like, again, he has equal ambition to the Ixians, Mm -hmm. but he's also a native Tupilian. So like he has their sort of uh, culture in mind and can probably reach out to them on a little more even level than the Ixians could have before. And he starts transforming the society into a very Tupilian organization. But... That's not at, like, um, the expense of the Ixians that are left. Because there's a little core of them that are, the like, the higher-ups. You know, they've been there the longest. They know the most. So he lets them all stay on. But he does steamroll them, like, because they get to keep all their positions. They can be involved in all of it. But uh, Mason does have a veto vote to anything they do. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you guys do, do... By the way. But uh, <laughs> if I say no, no. <laughs> Hard stop. Um... He, Sounds like the uh, the preface to the Dune Encyclopedia from Frank Herbert. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I totally love it and endorse it, but if I want to change it, I'm going to change it. He's like, uh, but when I do write another book, just throw this one out. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to read this. <laughs> it's exactly right. <laughs> he considers, though, the Ixians, that they're valuable for their idealism, in a way. And that uh, oh. as a whole, they sort of elevate the whole group. Like, you can't shake this out of the Ixians' idea that maybe you can from the two, the Tupilians. Okay. Like, the Ixians are set on this hyperspace goal holder and can do whatever they have to do. Right, right, right. They're like, no, it's possible. You don't even know, like, mm-hmm. all this uh, science we know. But they, they teach them, and they indoctrinate them, and they bring them into it. So, under Mason's leadership, the society remains a closed hierarchy, and he establishes, like, a strict uh, entrance requirements. And in doing so... He really sets up the society to be like a secret society and preserves the integrity, discipline, and mystique of the organization. So to me, that's reminiscent of one other group in the universe. Bene Gesserit, yeah, right? In a whole way. But his ultimate goal still remains that of the Ixian Exiles. The, uh, yeah, the Ixian Exile group. An interstellar shipping monopoly moving swiftly and safely through hyperspace. And by the time of his death, the guild is well on the way toward that goal. Really? Yeah. It is the guild by that point? 
We're we're still called the Society of Mariners. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We we don't move up into the guild. We were actually around, I think, when the guild got established. If you remember, in um, when we did our deep dive on Chome, yeah, and we talked about the synod that was established. Okay. Everybody kind of clicked into place at that synod. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, the yeah. guild approached the emperor, remember, mm-hmm. and they made that gesture of like right, we right, had right. this technology, and then they're like, oh, okay, let's go to the drawing board real quick <laughs> and graph out a, a whole government now. So, Which I guess I mean, worked, really. Yeah, no, it was like flawless. Um, so we get to 29 uh, before Guild. Mason passes. Mm-hmm. In his passing, as I said, he was, he was setting his organization up for the long term. Right. It is like primed and ready to go so that very smoothly leadership is passed on to his son. Jasta Mason Man. Jasta. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I just can't read that without Rasta. It's Jasta, J-A-S-T-A. Jasta Mason. Just, that's a space name. That's a great space name. That's a great name. space a really, name. Freelo and Jasta. <laughs> Freelo. Just awesome team. I love it. Um, and uh, yeah, so Jasta, he steps into it and there's sort of like no opposition to him. All, everything keeps moving as it is. Mm-hmm. And he has all of his father's abilities as well as his father's ambition. Okay. So okay. A lot, it's sort of like the same man is right there. If not, I think Jasta is like even a little more reliable on like a corporate end. Because uh, he is the one who takes it the rest of the way right, for us. Right, right, right. Jasta's going to live until 31 after Guild. He's going to make it to 91 uh, so got So he starts 29 before Guild. Mm-hmm. And okay, so like he's the one that sort of sets it in motion. He's going to be really our That's really cool. Yeah. Can you imagine being that guy that like helps establish that change in eras? No. Oh my God. No. No. Like, I, I don't even... Yeah, I didn't actually even register that in the story until just now. Like 30 years prior and 30 years after, more or less. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, that must have been pretty satisfactory. Oh, I think so. (laughs) Just to get it named. I wonder who they attributed to. I wonder if, like, him and his father really take it, like, the guild is ours, or if they look back to Senva and Venport in the same way. I don't know. I mean, it took three generations to do, more or less, so I think it's just sort of a joint effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Standing on the the shoulders of giants kind of deal. So, over the next three decades... Uh, like I said, 29 is going to bring us up to about zero, that mm-hmm. threshold point. Uh, Jasta concerns himself with assembling a substantial fleet and solving the problem of navigating it. This is his only goal. So <laughs> at this point, though, the guild has known of the powers of Melange since the days of Venport. Though it is, be- uh, it is believed through the clandestine machinations of a Bene Gesserit. Oh, Derek. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Mike. You want to ask questions? Wait, would the Bene Gesserit be... Wait, okay. Bene Gesserit, th- were they established by now? Oh, yes. Okay. Do you think this is part of their plan then? Um, In a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah, kind of. It's sort of like the encyclopedia is like... This is one of the few times I actually found it very delightful that they were vague. Because mm-hmm. they just keep dropping this little hint in of like, maybe the Bene Gesserit were fucking with them. It might be this is all a Bene Gesserit plan. It could be a rogue Bene Gesserit. Anything could have happened. Both make me happy, Derek. Yeah. All I've ever wanted is a rogue Benny Gesserit. So this sort of alludes to the possibility that the Benny Gesserit gave the Guild a spice and was just like, here you go. Take this. Oh, my God. Take it. That'd but be they so d- them, though. They don't know where Arrakis is yet, though. Wait, okay. The, the Guild doesn't. Wait, no, what? No, or rather, the Guild does They might know where the planet is, but rather, they don't know that the spice comes from Arrakis yet. They don't know the source of But Milage, someone gives them... But they haven't access to a supply of it. Okay, so... A Benny Gesserit. Sure. And it says, hey, check this out. Yes. And that's all we hear about that Benny Gesserit. No. Oh. That's all I'm going to tell you now. Oh. It's going to be in our Senva Venport story. I hate you so uh, much. A little more for it. All I can tell you, I, that's where I can give you a little more specific. But like, 
for the machinations part of it. it I don't know where they get their current supply of it mm-hmm. or like after this Bene Gesserit tells them about it. I don't know how they do the middle manning until they get to Arrakis, but I'm going to bring you right up to the point where they learn about Arrakis. Okay. So we, we it's just a big question mark and uh, even the encyclopedia doesn't like nail it down in any finite way. Gotcha. So like whatever you want to let your imagination go with and for the listener too, yeah, that can be real. That's fine. Uh, it's where it should be it's gonna be like a plot hook but it's really interesting and cool and you and I when we did the Chome deep dive we were like or no I'm sorry when we did the um, Zensuni wandering oh yeah we were like trying to be like wait where the spice come from then I felt like that was sort of just actually in both of them we did we were just like I didn't know where to really slit it down but but this answers it is close. Someone came like, hey, look at this. So yeah, somebody gave it to the guild. Oh, that's the guild super uses suspicious. it without having the source of it. And then the guild eventually finds the source. And then we'll bring it up to the present within this story. Well, I mean, if they were able to find a practical use for it and realize what it did, they'd be like, yeah, all ships look everywhere. Uh, who? The, the guild. The gu- okay, because like each faction knows different things about the spice. So the guild is the, o- the guild's the only one doing the research into the folding space part. Right. Okay. So spice just exists. Yes. So everyone knows something about it. So yeah. wait, did this rogue Benny Gesserit? So like I think, in quotes, I think this this uh, this Benny Gesserit who supplied it. I think they knew about its potential. I don't know how they knew about what the guild wanted to do though. That's a huge disconnect and like uh, really leaves you up to like how wily do you want the Benny Gesserit to be, or how wily do you? Be- I believe they are like as supreme as you can think, and that they are pulling strings. Well, I mean, it would serve their purposes of like spreading out, of connecting yeah. the empire. Yeah, yeah. To be this political backdrop, they need that glue in there. They need the spacing guild. So, oh my god, I don't freaking know. All right, let me move on then. If you have any other it. lingering things, we'll double back. To okay, this at the end. okay. But I do want to push forward then. So. Setting that Bene Gesserit aside, uh, the guild has known about the powers of this melange and how they can use it to fold space and guide uh, their ships in a way. Because uh, Senva does this first experiment with it. Mm. And otherwise, the guild is experimenting from that point on. So Justa is going to use these three decades of them refining how to teach their students to use it and how to use this technology uh, and getting his ships to go. And otherwise, he's just focused on building a massive fleet too to like start flying the stuff around. And it's believed probable that during these early decades of Jasta's leadership, uh, when the fleet was growing and making many inter- secret interstellar voyages, because at this point no one knows what they're doing, right? That the guild found the planet Arrakis and the source of spice so vital to their navigational mystery mastery. Sorry. So it's somewhere in that 30 years, but not, not during Freelo's lifetime, mm-hmm. you know, that it's after that point that we find Arrakis, but we've had the spice that whole time. So, so that's that just had someone like providing the spice. Yeah. And then transporting it. Yep. So somebody's middlemanning something somewhere and it leads you to a million questions of like, how did they get the spice then? Like we have spice harvesters, this and that. Right. Who would have gone to Arrakis to get it? Cause like, it's not a world that you would be looking for. And then if you did touch down there, and you didn't know what the spice was for the first time you got there, why would you pick it up and bring it off? Right. Hmm. Well, I mean, if, if you smelled that, you'd be like, what does that smell? Because, like, the smell of cinnamon is kind of, right, like, right. unmistakable but it's and like, very uh, appetizing in a way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll give you a little appetizing. Like, where's that coming from? Like, looking around. Why is this sand all red? Wait, check this out. Interesting. I okay. feel like, I mean, like, you think maybe they took, like, one sample of, like, this is just, like, a, a scoop and just, like, huh, I don't know why. And then maybe, but then why would you, why would, why would you eat it? I guess that's what we do as well, humans, I mean, right? like... 
I, I guess where I'm building Why up to... Well, how do you learn what plants are edible? You're just like, I'm hungry! Well, I let my ancestors, who didn't have yeah, a refined <laughs> lifespan, do it. I didn't show up with a spaceship and go like, I'm starting <laughs> over. <laughs> new planet, new humans. <laughs> new planet, new me. That's the difference, yeah. But I get what you're saying, and I guess I was going to build up to like, however they get their first thing... Maybe in trying it, they eat so much spice, they have like some crazy reaction, and that spurs them to want to go back mm-hmm. to be like, "Whoa, why did this happen?" But, right, right, right. So whatever series, like, of, I, sure. I imagine. So I like. I, I feel like it's definitely one hundred percent. There's a connection between worms and the spice. How do you be like, "Oh shit"? That's the other thing, yeah. right? That's the other variable we didn't even get to. <laughs> like, and then the worm shows up, yeah. and you're like, "I'm gonna come back for more." Like, no, you run. <laughs> You run so fast with that Just do rhythm. a drive-by on a ship with a net. Like, get as much sand as you can. Which, if we could do that, Mike, that's how we'd harvest spice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I guess you can. You can't. <laughs> Nothing but questions. So, um, thus, by 12 before Guild, the Guild was secure enough in its abilities and resources to reveal itself from a position of strength. So we have the spice. We yeah. have the ships. We have the navigation. I think it's time we go have a talk. Yeah, we just need the emperor. That's right. And that's going to bring us to a, a key point here, Mike. Because the guild, uh, they're doing secret flights everywhere. They're keeping an eye on the Imperial. Mm-hmm. Like, they got little eyes everywhere. And they're even beyond uh, known space at this point, too. They're also exploring the vast. And, oh. uh so, now that they can fold space, they can go further. Yeah, they can go. They're going further. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I mean by known space. Gotcha, like, gotcha. Like previously like, gone two stars. Now, like... They are effectively, like, bigger than the Imperium, but, like, invisible to the Imperium. Oh, my gosh. You know, they can't exert any influence, but Mm. they're trying to feel out how do we approach them. At this point in time, the Carinos are pretty eager to set themselves up at the top, right? They're already having conversations with what will be the Landsrad into setting up sort of a balanced government. And in this sort of discussion, uh, this is when the guild emerges. And they're like, all right, we got to do this carefully. So how how would you approach? Uh, you've learned of the Sadokar. You've learned the Karinos. How do you uh, approach the Emperor? I mean, I don't even know. Do you go? To, okay. Do you just fly over them? And be like, hey. They they took, they went a little more tangential. They're like, we don't want to talk to the Emperor. That's, Did they send an envoy? They, yeah, they, especially they sent an envoy to an envoy. Uh, their envoy is going to a governor of some random planet because like so, we don't we don't want to bring like what if we misspeak I don't want the Sadakar rolling up so they, on us. They've got several level like degrees of separation there. Exactly. So Mason gets an agent uh, set up. We get this guy Zarv. Zarv. Z- oh, great, yeah, great, great name. Great name. Whoa. For a guild uh, guild agent Zarv, uh, and he's gonna go to the imperial governor of Deneb. Uh, and he's going to discreetly feel, uh, uh, you know, how they're going to react to the guild's proposal, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just like, hey, we just want to touch bases, see how you feel mm-hmm. about this. Don't get too riled up, though. And the agent he sits down, he gets welcomed to the government palace, right? Get yeah, brought right yeah. in. He sits down, the governor across from him, probably in like his full, you know, Sadokar right. kind of attire. Right. Or, okay. I think like a gruff guy, probably a little hefty at this point. Mm-hmm. And the governor did it there, and he's like, all right, what Wipe is it? some blood off of his pen. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. shit. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Put some sugar wire back in his hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, puts it in a fake tooth. You gotta tumble it in a gall too. And the agent tells him of the possibility of the return of interstellar, interstellar travel. And he suggests, like, you should let your superiors know and we can set up an arrangement with my principals. 
And the governor's like, really? <laughs> sort of putting his fingers together in that kind of way. <laughs> he's like, uh, Zarv doesn't leave. Zarv oh, yeah. is grabbed. He's taken out back. A couple torture guys come oh, out. Oh, I knew it. And we're like, Zarv, tell us who your boss is. So I was like, I've never met a single, like, uh, anyone in the yeah. guild. He's never met a navigator, a steersman, anyone above him. He gets all of his uh, orders by radio. And the governor's like, Zarv. Come on now. Oh, no. Tell me about your leader. Oh, yeah. Most certainly. Um, And uh, it's crude interrogation methods. (laughs) I exerted on Zarb. It was every technique available to the governor, essentially, right? Uh, Take that sugar wire back out. Yeah, he was just unable to believe that the agent had never seen a member of the guild. It's just not. It's so anathema to him, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Coming from this imperial world. Uh, But the agent, unknown even to himself, had been provided by the guild with mental conditioning that would result in his death before he could ever reveal anything that would harm the guild. Holy shit. So they're just asking Zarb Zarb and Zarb just and just dies. <laughs> no. Just like right in the chair. Uh, which must have been awkward for the uh, governor. I'm like, oh, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> and uh, the, going back to the guild, the guild at this point is sort of like, uh, it's just on like a board of directors. Mm. The board of directors are freaking out. I'm just like, what the <laughs> hell? Oh, that didn't work. That didn't work. <laughs> like, yeah, they are. And it locks them into this like policy struggle. Uh, they had learned enough about like the Sadakar to know like what the qualms are going to be in dealing Ooh. with them and dealing with House Carino. Uh, you know, like, because ultimately they want to prevent an invasion of their planet. Right. You know, that's what they're really worried about, being just completely, because they're not a great house. Mm-hmm. They're just some Do people. people know where Tupile is? No, no one does. Well, then why are they worried? Because eventually, like, if anyone followed them back, or anyone just finding but out Can anything, anyone follow them back if they fold space? Well, Mike, that's where we're going to get to. Well, there's still regular travel. So consider that their planet would have been established during the previous so, fad of travel. So, like, well, I feel like someone would know where Tupile is then, though. Don't, no, 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 not necessarily. Uh, I'll get, we'll get to that in a second here. Um, so beyond just them being afraid of House Carino, mm-hmm. they were also afraid of approaching the Landsrat for a similar reason. In that, like, what was to prevent the House's Major from joining up and using the Guild to fight against the Emperor? That was mm. just as much a position they didn't want to be in as the Emperor using them against, like, the Landsrad. So they or had the to, Emperor just eliminated They had sort of them. a delicate situation they needed to find a good, like, uh, fulcrum to be on. Yeah, they don't, they don't want to yield a position of power. Right? Like, they are in a strong spot right now where they are fully independent and they have something to offer. But they don't want to be, like, um, somehow subjugated because of it or have this ability taken away from right. them. They are refusing that outright. Uh, and then their third consideration is, like, and what of the use of melange? How could that secret be safeguarded indefinitely once hyperspace commerce brought the inhabited worlds much closer together? That's their third big thing. They know there's only one place you can get it. Right. They know how to use it. And they know the, all the powers combined to it. Now, these were pretty hard questions for them to come to any uh, consensus on. Mm-hmm. And the debate kind of narrows down to two choices. Okay. We either retreat back into secrecy or we continue to negotiate. Kind of a binary option, Ooh. right? And we put it to a vote. It comes to a deadlock. And at this deadlock, the chairman, just a mason man, mm-hmm. he steps up. <laughs> 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 too much <laughs> too much i <laughs> can't help it uh and he gives them uh inspiring speech though to okay. kind of sway them over and i got this whole speech uh oh, it was recorded wait, can you do it in like a, a rastafarian uh 
Mike, you know I can try. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got nothing to be ashamed of. Let me take one more sip of wine so yeah. I forget my pride. Oh God! But I gotta tell you, is also this was recorded by a um, a historian who had access to the minutes of the speech. Oh, the historian's name is Adelaide Heyman. H e y m a n. That's why I got to stick that. Otherwise, I would have uh, completely cut them off from the story. Adelaide, hey man. All right, in my Rasta voice, I'm so sorry for everybody. Zarb died horribly, man, and we're all sorry about that. But we can't let it panic us. You say be safe, be careful, but Zarb wasn't. Norma Senva wasn't when the spice killed her brain cell by cell, man. Venport wasn't when he took the fleet into the void. If the Ixians had been safe and cruel, man, all of us right now would be sitting around campfires wearing skins. This guild can make us great, I tell you. We be the wings of the Imperium, brother. Right now. <laughs> I'm adding up your <laughs> I got a little bit more. <laughs> right now, this moment, as we argue, a new humanity is being conceived, and we have this chance to shape the child that will be born. Hesitate now, and the chance will be never come again, man. As the Imperium develops, the child will grow, and if we hide on two pile for how long, man? A century? Two century? When will we come out of the burrows and we look at him? We'll see that he can fly. All right, but his wings won't be guild ships. They, they can be. Those wings could be guild ships if we remember who we are and what we are and be bold. Sort of Peter said at the end, bud. You laughed too hard in the middle. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Apologies all around. You, you ask, I answer. I don't know. Maybe it's the wine or maybe it was the ad lib in the middle of it. <laughs> you got it with that. Uh, the cadence of it gets broken up otherwise. Oh, my Lord. Uh, that was uh, my best impression of a guy named Stevie Barzi, who I used to work for when I was in Puerto Rico. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's the best I can do. <laughs> Did you even listen to any of that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I listened to it. Okay. Just... <laughs> the big thing to catch here is um, they do bring up again uh, that the way Jasta kind of wins them over is he's telling them that uh, we could be the wings. Of, like He's refer using this analogy of a baby being born with wings, mm -hmm. and it's like it's going to have wings no matter what. Those wings can either be guild ships or they can't, or, you know, they'll be somebody else's right. ships. So, like, we, we strike now while the iron's hot. Yeah, we can be a part of this new thing that's so going to be created. It said going, flying their fleet into the void with uh, one of the founders. Mm -hmm. What exactly does that talk about? I can read that back. Uh, Norma Senva wasn't when the spice was killing her brain cell by cell. Venport wasn't when he took the fleet into the void. Just, like, into the nether, basically? Can't say, Mike, you know what I'm going to say. That. Oh, Come on now. God. I will not answer any questions I on Norma so Senva much. or Aurelius Venport. <laughs> all right. All right. All the, all the better to tease. <clears throat> so after that amazing speech in his voice, he gets unanimous <laughs> board approval. And <laughs> they're all like, yeah. Ah! But also remember, it's a board meeting. So there's probably like eight people in that room. I'm just like, yay. I second the motion. <laughs> Great job, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> you really spoke pretty forcefully there. <laughs> We feel a little uncomfortable. So we double down like we send our second emissary this time to the, the governor of Nabatea, who was a little more temperate. Uh, we were like, maybe we don't get the edgiest guy. <laughs> Let's get this chill guy. And uh, even so, the new governor here, he wasn't inclined to believe the claims of the agent Brada. Oh, just like bullshit. No, it's just so far fetched. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's insane. So he's like, tell you what, give me a demonstration then. 
Like, uh, let's let's go for a little this quick ride that you talk <clears throat> about. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, he wants yeah. he wants to do it. Scenes believing. Exactly. So the guild, uh, they're like, you know what? All right. So they transport the governor to the imperial court in three standard days, a journey which usually took two years. Oh, yeah. This becomes standard practice without exception for convincing people. <laughs> oh, my like, God. It works so well. Like, that, yeah. the governor's like, like so, what are you going to say? Like, I don't believe you? Yeah, because you're looking at the planet. Yeah. You're fucking there. Wow. It must be insane. So, yeah, he, and he brings the governor back. And the guild's just like, yep, that's how we're doing this from now on. Every time they just bring a person basically to the Imperial court and back to wherever their planet is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's our de facto way without exception. And it's always that a guild pilot, they bring the whatever the governor of whatever planet they're on, their ship comes up. And much like how Paul's journey was, they're docked on a Highliner. Mm-hmm. They never get to see the Highliner, though. Yeah, they, more or less, they just have to no, stay. No, no. They never see the Highliner, though, either. Wait, what? Like, I don't think it was that specific with Paul going up. Let alone, they'll never see a guild steersman or a guild's navigator. Right, right, of course They didn't not. let them even see the ship the first time it said. It was very, wow. key, it was very, um... Secretive? Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say the text was, like, making a big point of that. Of being, like, they could not see the ship either. Which I don't well, recall like, from the they book. they can't see all the cards in their hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're, like, even more, I think even more protective than, like, the guild we yeah. know nowadays. But then otherwise, yeah... They were left in their ship. They weren't allowed to see anything else in the Highliner, which is very much how we know it to be. Uh, and you're on your own there. And uh, at this point, the Emperor, Sadir I, he's going to get involved. Because uh, you have ships popping into your planet now, like, a couple of weeks. Uh, that's got to mm-hmm. be a little out of the ordinary. And obviously, the um, what is going to be this forerunner for the guild makes some overtures to him. And at this point, like I said, he was having the conversation with the Lanzrad. And now Sadir, he is, he's cunning. He is ruthless. I love this guy. He's like a politician. Because <laughs> uh, he's sort of just like, the guild comes to him, tells him this. And he's just like, ooh, Lanzarad, pause. Uh, <laughs> he goes back to the drawing board, I think before filling them in on what he knows. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of comes back out with this new um, whole, like, set up of a government because this is when he sort of like sketches out what Chome should be right with this information and he pitches this oh all to them God. and that's when he made that sacrifice of like I'm only going to take this percent I could mm-hmm. take it all I'm only going to take 20% that's it guys you guys did up the quotes. rest <laughs> yeah and then he builds up that coalition yeah, yeah, yeah. slowly over time but I mean like I think I made the point back then you got to sell it yeah even though like it's probably not very difficult to sell if like, everyone wants fast and light travel mm-hmm and that's the thing of like the emperor even sits there for a moment and he's just like, do I just go take this for myself? He knows with a soda car he could do mm. it. It's proof positive. But he's just like, eh, it'd be too much work. Uh, <laughs> it, no, no, honestly, because like, and he thinks of how long that would delay hyperspace travel. Actually, if he had to go take it over and right. reinstitute it, he's like, that's going to be, it's already here and done. I'm going to make way more money. If also, I, what if it fails? What if like that uh, attempt to take it over, something ooh, goes wrong? I like that. The, like what, then what's he got? The land, the gill goes to land. And uh, says, like, oh, the Emperor's trying to get one up on everyone else. Landsrad comes together. They fuck over the Emperor. Yep. Yeah. So, you, I, it you, always, you always have that two against yeah. one kind of fear. And I actually sort of wondered why he didn't maybe think of pressuring the guild to be on his side. Again, you know, subjugate the Landsrad. Well, he, maybe he even did. But it seems like the guild, they really wanted to be in a position of neutrality. Okay, maybe they would have pushed back yeah. on that kind of... I like it. I like it. Um, pushed back on that more than the Emperor would have, like, relented. So, ultimately, though, the revelations of the guild, the fact that they had this hyperspace travel, obviously confirmed true to everyone. Mm-hmm. We're just spreading, like, wildfire now through the uh, the kind of universe. And we have uh, 
Saudi are making these decisions, trying to balance this all out. And so he lands on, all right, I'm going to call a great financial synod, which uh, for anyone who hasn't, if you need a refresher, head on back to episode three. We had it on the end of that you one. You remember that? I do. Because Guy Selma Hyam brings up Chome. And then you and I had to talk because I think I was calling it Comb and Chome. Oh. You, were, you were not pleased with. No. <laughs> you wanted a, a day party. We choose one and we stick to it. Which uh, we have not kept up with with any of our other names. No, no. I think we even let Stabon and I think it was Stab and Stabon a little bit. <laughs> it's it it a very fluid uh, character <laughs> to the whole thing. I love it. Um, so everyone gets called. Ooh, do you remember what the planet was called? I believe at the time I did tell you you were not going to have to remember this world. And was, then you, of course, like, hey, might you remember this world? We're going back. What is it? It's uh, Arium 4. Arium 4. Okay. Yeah. So everybody goes there. That's where the Synod happens. And this is in 10 BG at this point. So we've moved two years forward. Okay. From when uh, we first approached Saudi Air, kind of, mm -hmm. right? Now we hash this all out. Lance Red's there. Everyone's getting involved. We're divvying up kind of the universe at this point. The dangers of dealing with the Emperor and the Lands Lad, like I said, are incredibly obvious to the guilds. They are being super secretive on every level. Their ability to guide ships through interstellar space lay not only in learning, but also in a secret, Mike. What if I told you holding space isn't hard? I mean... It doesn't take a lot of training and a lot of schooling. Okay. It really just takes a good old scoop of spice. <laughs> <laughs> it's really what it comes down to it's, it's basically like, the oxyclean of travel yeah this is to me this sort of rang uh parallel to like when uh we had our astronaut program in the 60s and stuff okay america made a point of wanting to build up the astronauts of being like superhuman of like our astronauts are special you know like mm -hmm. they're the best of the best like not everybody can be an astronaut you gotta be this and that Russians went the opposite direction. <laughs> They're kind of just like, we'll take whatever. Like, well, you know, we can throw a dog in space. You know, you can do whatever. <laughs> uh, I think they were the only space agency where you were always able to pay to go into space if you wanted oh. to. Oh. Kind because of um, it's like Lance Bass went into space once with the Russians. He, he's a what? He's a trained cosmonaut, if I recall. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's, it's wild. And the big secret being like, you don't need to be crazy special to be an astronaut. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the ones that went up on the shuttle, the Columbia one that exploded, it was a school teacher. Was yeah, I remember that. Were. I remember that. Like, it takes just enough training so you don't like, your body doesn't react terrible for it. But almost anyone can get launched up into space and come back. Folding space. I mean, I think it's the same thing in terms of like deep sea divers. Like it takes a certain amount of training and a certain amount, a certain mentality as well. It's like, yeah, the training, it's, there's nothing, uh, you are never at a loss for more training. Right. It'll always make you more prepared and better at it. But, like, the entry level is totally there as an option. Right, right, right. And that's how it is for space navigators. Uh, if you take a big enough scoop of spice and we hook up to the ship, you might be able to fold space okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> you'll, get the, you'll get there. Um, so they got to guard that secret like hell. because they Right, want, that makes sense. That's why they built up the mystique. That's why their school is so guarded. Because mm. they want you, one, they probably want their students to buy into they, this a little bit. And then they want the outside world to trust them. They just want to make sure that people don't know you can make green if you mix blue and yellow. <laughs> hey, I, I just learned that last time. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. That's why I said it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so if one ever learned about like this, what the spice trance could do, like they'd be ruined. The whole, uh, this whole structure of the guild would be upended. Mm. So in a master stroke of misdirection, the guild shows up like, like the king's bearing gift. And they're like, here is the spice. All it does is make you live longer. And they just drop there it off. There you go. And just give them all of it, tell them where it is and how to get it. And hope that their it's greed like, we need to get more of this. And that they'll be blinded by their greed, though. And they were. And they were for 
thousands and of years. And Jesus. thousands of years. Yeah. It's like, you think that's got to be the thing that they never saw coming. I was oh just like, God. hey, this is still working. They still don't care how we do this. <laughs> Good God, Josta. Is there any, like, uh, limit to how long you can live on Spice? There is. Um, oh, I had it in my head. At Unless you have any chance for it. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I want to say it's something like two times or three times okay. your age. Um, I know post-God Emperor, I think we get some good years uh, when they bring back a Gola. What about navigators? Do they live longer? Because they're like basically one with the spice, more or less, fl floating those little spice tanks. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't mm. think so. Okay. I think they just get to the kind of mutation, and then the mutation is also partly because of their environment and being in low gravity for so long, too. Mm -hmm. Like, it's equal parts of that as much as the spice. But I'll, I'll put a question mark by it. Yeah. At least. I'm like, maybe. Put a pin in it. Yeah, possibly. So we drop the spice off, this, the melange. We tell them what it means. It's all infinite life. And uh, all the guild ambassadors that are at this kind of uh, at the Synod doing these negotiations, they've all been insulated from the exploration and development arms of the organization. So everybody's compartmentalized. Oh. Plausible deniability. I mean, <clears throat> so like they honestly, oh, I'm sorry. So they, we don't give up the source of Melange. They hide that because they don't know. All right. So, so they don't even know where the spice comes from still. The ambassadors don't. Oh, the guild, the guild does. The organization does. But you're right. So the ambassadors it, don't. All right, so the, it's just so many degrees of separation because that's how guarded the secret has to be. Yeah, and I, so I think that it's just that the guild will be the source of the melange. Okay. Themselves. And they're just sitting up, but like, you know, we're just going to keep giving it to you guys. Like, mm. don't ask too many questions about it. Don't focus right, on and, it. Right, yeah, okay. I think I recall you saying, like, they brought spice into the mix and that sweetened the deal. I'm like, yeah, are you sure yeah, you yeah, don't want to do they this? Inter they yeah. introduce it to everybody. And it like it changes everything mm -hmm. in the Imperium, and it's one more kind of big uh, wrench in the machine here, where we're overturning whatever the previous government structure was was vastly different from what right. we're building here in the Synod. In uh, the Melange, extending life is a huge component of that. So by this maneuver, they hope to allay like all suspicion that the Melange had additional effects. Mm -hmm. uh, just like, don't worry, don't worry, just pay attention to the life part of it. Uh, and at the same time, their emissaries warned against attempts to use the guild for purposes other than negotiated. And mm. particularly, they refer to the debate in the, in the, within the Imperial Court about finding and seizing the planetary base of the guild. Because the Emperor, Ooh. I told you, he entertained the idea that the Sadakar could do it. We right. know I'm out. He spoke that one aloud in the court. There was a guild spy there. Oh, and so like right at this meeting, they probably say that aloud in the court and like make eye contact. Yeah, uh, much like um when um Shaddam the Fourth. Remember when he revealed the Hunter Seeker mm -hmm. to everybody, and he kind of you know his dad had sent yeah. it, but he's like, I'm just gonna tell the whole court. Look what I found, pops. Isn't this weird? Right. And then like, everyone knows. Everyone yeah. knows now. Um, but you can't call it out. So I love that. It sort of puts the emperor on call right there. Mm. Just like that's how good our intelligence service is. Think of that next time you plot against us. Mm -hmm. uh, so the ambassadors, they clearly imply that any such action, uh, if it was entertained, the guild would leave. We would pull back entirely into secrecy and leave you all stranded. Mm -hmm. Like all the hyperspace ships gone in an instant. They point out that no political entity then existed that could match the guild in space. And furthermore, that a search for their homeworld would take years. So On this, their own, yeah. No, no, no. For other people to find them. Not that it would take the guild years. It would take other people years to find Tupile. Yeah. Because the way it was founded, though, is um, it would still be within relative distance to the other Imperial worlds. 
Oh, but like still slower than light travel. It's going to take forever. Yeah, yeah. They're going to have to search out, but I just mean like it is within range of all their ships and stuff like that because it's definitely in the old Imperium as far as we call it. So that's the only thing where I get it. Like no one knows where Tupahil is, but like they could find it if they really stressed and like were looking in a haystack to overturn their enemy. Right, but like with as many guild spies as there are out there, the guild would know way ahead of time and could oh. easily dispatch any attempts to search. Better yet, Mike, during these years, if the guild, if uh, they were ever found and they felt that someone was on their tail, mm-hmm. not only would they retreat, they would destroy their entire hyperspace industry. They would level it to the ground. The secret would die with them. Oh, my God. They'd be like, you don't want us to have it? No one will ever have it. And they would just raise it all. You would get to two pile. Two pile might as well just have windmills on it. There's a big uh, red button on one of those ships. Yeah. No, unlike their on entire, every ship. <laughs> their entire like infrastructure on the planet. Wow. Where they're building out this tag. They'll just destroy it all. I'll be done with it. Be like, cool, we'll destroy all of our Handful information. Spice just brought a new house on two pile. Oh no. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, it'll buy two pile now. <laughs> no, no one needs spice anymore. Um, and so that's like kind of like a, a very, very wholesome of them. <laughs> yeah right a lot of that so uh, the few years f- uh following the close of the synod this brings us up to five before guild we're so close to oh that point gosh. um gave rise to chome in the imperium that uh mason had foreseen and uh he spent it in a lot of uh, bargaining sessions and this is where we haggle over all the fine details now now that chome is up and running the imperium is established we have mm. our major houses the mm-hmm. Landsrad, the imperial house we start talking about commercial areas, product rights, monetary exchange, tariffs, schedules, transport costs. All those kind of priorities are mm-hmm. ironed out. Uh, and that's where I feel like uh, Justa really has to step up as CEO. <laughs> Justa. He's got to be a little bit, uh, I think, a little, even more refined than uh, Freelo at this point. Because yeah, the, yeah. the organization is so much bigger. Right. And now you're making your big corporate overture. of like, we got a new deal. Like, it's going to put us through the roof. And uh, these sessions involve the newly created uh, Chome directors and a growing number of off-world guild agents. Yeah. One for one, or two for one. Two for one. guild works. <laughs> so they got a lot. Uh, this goes on, like, well past we meet our, uh, I don't know when we finally decide to date things by guild. Uh, mm-hmm. I wonder if it was in Joss's life. Maybe it was a little after. Because, uh, you know, it's not normally right at that point. You'd be like, this is our zero year. We're starting now. Sort of like a reflective back. Oh, you think like... uh, For historians to adjust a calendar? Yeah, 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 I think it would be. Because ultimately, uh, like I said, Jasta, he dies in 31 AG of natural causes after a long and distinguished career. Someone who like shaped all of commerce, essentially, even Mm -hmm. more than the kind of giants that came before him. He does die without a successor, though, of comparable stature and authority. Unlike, uh, you know, for how Freelow handed it off to him. Mm-hmm. This isn't really a concern, though, because he had established uh, a guild that could basically run independent of any one person. It wasn't, uh, it didn't need an emperor to build an empire anymore. Right. They were dedicated to being part of the Imperium and sort of supporting and maintaining and refining the space and guild from that point on. And then it ends, Mike, with to plume the wings of the Imperium. Ah. That's what they're going to do. Back that to is speech. forever, forever like the that. goal. Uh, and that's so I'll leave that we got for you on the the foundation. That of was the good. That fun. That was really good. Answers a lot of our lingering. Yeah, questions. no, but like it, we had so many like sort of gaps there that I just I thought you were making shit up for a while. It's yeah. like Derek doesn't know what he's talking about. I can't, we can string it all together. You got it. You got it. I did it. You got me. 
That only means one thing, Derek. I mean, Mike, it might even mean three things. It might even mean three things. <laughs> I can count right. Gurney, gurney, gurney! It's time for the gurney game. So, as you know, Derek, every mm-hmm. week I'm going to bring you three different gurneys yes, and sir. one quote. Derek, I need your help to figure out which gurney said it best. <gasps> That's what I'm here for. I'm doing all right. I got my You gurney. are. I'm do- I know. You know what? I haven't actually been keeping score this season. I think- Maybe I should start. I think Ooh. it throws you off your game. Ah. <laughs> it would cheapen the moment. It would cheapen the moment. It would cheapen the moment. You know, we're not going to cheap this out. It's about the gurneys. It's about the gurneys <laughs> and the dinosaurs and the all dinosaurs the- that tricks me. <laughs> Yeah. All right. What do you? Or I guess who are our gurneys? Our gurneys. So they're familiar gurneys. They're my favorite gurneys so far. Although gurney pigs are pretty good. <laughs> gurney pigs are pretty good. We have Gurney Halleck, troubadour warrior, mm. formerly of the Atreides. Formerly. Moving on. That hurts a little bit to say, actually. You know what? It's a big world, Mike. You got. You gotta grow. You just gotta grow. Just gotta grow. We got James Gurney, famed author and artist of Dinotopia. Mm. And as I did posit, potential kazoo player, though not confirmed. <laughs> not confirmed. <laughs> Why don't we? Uh, We'll shoot. find out what he yeah, plays. Yeah, we'll shoot him a tweet and see if he plays kazoo. <laughs> he might be so offended. <laughs> Who are and- you people? Why do you keep texting me? <laughs> and we also have Ivor Gurney, English poet and composer. Now, I did a little bit more research on Ivor Gurney recently. Okay. And I didn't give this guy enough credit. This guy is legit, fa- like, really famous. Uh, elaborate. Uh, uh, size it up for me. So, I listened to some of his music. Oh, I... I don't think you told me he was a musician before. Yeah, a composer. Oh, okay. No, we did do composer. I was imagining. Oh, wait, was it? Is it like orchestral or? Yeah. Okay. No lyrics. I mean, there's a, there are lyrics to it as well. Ooh. I mean, he doesn't sing it himself. He's a composer, but sure. like, it's really good stuff. Okay. Okay. Because he's such an impactful poet. I think. Oh, what was it? Someone called him like the Schubert of uh, modern war poetry. As weird as that sounds, but it sounds very gurney. He's a war poet. <laughs> That's kind of cool. He uh, Apparently he had, I think they, they chalked it up to schizophrenia at the time, but I think it's more uh, that he uh, was bipolar. Okay. And you can definitely see that in his works. Once you read enough of it, it's either like almost disgustingly over the top happy versus like really deep and melancholy. And you're like, whoa, this guy had a time. Oh, he had some trouble. Yeah, exactly. But like, uh, it's, it's really interesting. I, Can I once just... we're done with this game, I really want you to dig into him and like read more of his stuff. All right. Because it's really good. Gladly, of course. Uh, can we double back? War poet. Is that like the poetry is about war? Yeah. Okay. By war poet. I mean, I, it's not necessarily a title, but this is the best way to think of like the inspiration for some of these things because when he was studying Germany, his studies were interrupted by World War One. He enlisted as a private soldier in the Gluckhaustershire Regiment in the 1915. Okay. So he was a soldier and that's when he began writing poetry seriously Ooh. when he was in that war. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, God knows what he went through during those times. It was World War One. You think maybe he was writing next to Tolkien? I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Exchanging some poetry. But, uh, uh, in the midst of writing that first book I told you about, Severin and Sama, that's when he was wounded. I don't know if he was shot or stabbed, but he was wounded in his shoulder in 1917. Recovered, returned to battle, still working on his book and composing mu- music, uh, including some of his most famous ones at the time. Damn. This guy was insane. I, like, I stand in a interest. good way. So, Ivor Garney, he's on the list for today. Yeah. Along with of course. our James. Oh, wait. Oh, and Gurney oh, oh. Halleck, of course. Oh, no, no, yeah, I was waiting for like a third gun. Like, Wait, but that's all three. Okay, yeah, these have been yeah. trying true for a while now. Yeah, so right. isn't that wild to think about, though? Yeah. It was that point in time during those two, three years where he wrote some of his most intense and influential pieces. And I mean, it sort of, it almost seems like it makes sense, though, too. Yeah, no, it totally of, like does. the emotional t- turmoil he was kind of going through, mm-hmm. to, like just to transcribe that onto a page or into a work. 
I, I can kind of, I get it in a way. You're gonna have to let me know what you think of this. All right, yeah, yeah. Hit me, hit me with a Gurney quote. I think this might be a tricky one. Beneath the hill where the fox runs lightly, a dappled sun shines brightly, where my ones love still. Beneath the hill in the fennel break, I spy my love who cannot wake. He hides in a grave beneath the hill. Oh, okay. So I'm going. I feel right at the gun. You like automatically haven't. I feel Ivor Gurney. You're feeling Ivor Gurney. Because to me, that just sounds very much like a widow in World War One. Seeing where her like lover died, or whether yeah. it's a husband or a boyfriend or something, and like that's. The I feel thing. like I shouldn't have given you the preface to Ivor the, Gurney. The pre- it was a heavy. <laughs> it was a heavy lead up. It really was. Yeah. If you would have <laughs> backstory comes after the answer, Mike. Um, but yeah, I want to log in. I don't see the uh, the other ones, and the language in it. I mean, it does. It has like a more AB rhyme scheme, I think, than I've seen in the other ones mm-hmm. to it, which I would totally attribute to him. Because uh, Gurney Halleck, being the poet, like not really a rhyme scheme kind of guy, right? Right, right, right. It's more of a cadence, and uh, would he be counting like syllables, kind of in how? I don't know how you. Break I mean, up. like all of his things are. It's hard because some of his uh, songs are just like from the Bible, like exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And others are just like actual. Uh, yeah, they've got like different rhyme schemes. Like they do have some A and Bs, I think. Well, I'll give you Galatians. Like with girls. a scorched sea one, or was it poem for sad times that had a little bit of rhyme schemes that, that, there? That did, that did. But yeah. So, but I, I want to, I feel that the hill buried under it, I gotta say Ivor Gurney. Derek, straight from Children of Dune. No. What? Gurney, known simply as Gurney Halleck's tune. It says all it's credited as. I just know it's from Children of Dune at some point. Okay. Whether okay. he's still alive in that book or if it's like someone remembering one of his songs survived. Ooh, okay. Because I don't know how long it goes into the future. But sure, and I'm not going to tell you. But yeah, uh, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Uh, one, it's more, one more time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rip, beneath Children the, of fucking Dune. Beneath the hill where the fox runs lightly, a dappled sun shines brightly where my one loves still. Beneath the hill in the fennel break, I spy my love who cannot wake. He hides in a grave beneath the hill. Man. That was pretty good. That was good. I can't believe you got me. Ooh. You got me good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Children of Dune. I can't remember where. I yeah, I had no idea, man. Yeah, I'll find it. I'll look for it. Uh, yeah, yeah, please, please. Just uh, like, uh, I mean, you could probably just Google it, but it's pretty good. That's good. That's and really good. I, I, I didn't mean to sort of get into this routine, but I got a little bit of a bonus gurney for you. Because, like, I just fall into a routine. There's, uh, there's, there's so many gurneys. There's so many gurneys, but three are just super, like, poetic and have really great quotes. But all the other gurneys won't get their time in the sun. Well, I got a gurney hey, for you today. Let that out shine. Yeah, show, let that out lot shine. Gurney. So, can you read my mind and guess what kind of gurney I'm going to talk about today? Uh, this gurney is an engineer mm. who probably developed a new form of boat travel. I see. Yeah. Uh, is revolutionary for the time. It, oddly enough, still uses oars. Well, I'm not impressed, but I'm sure Edmund Gurney would be impressed. <gasps> the Edmund Gurney? The Edmund Gurney, an English psychologist and parapsychologist. At the time, the term for research of paranormal activities was called... Damn, I was gonna, like, I was like, do I need to ask what a parapsychologist... I'm no. Gonna, I'm gonna let him explain it. It might be that easy. <laughs> yep, yep, it is. All right. During At the time, the term for research of paranormal activities was referred to as psychical oh research. Ah, I worked it in earlier. Get a real, get a real job, <laughs> Gurney. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Edmund Gurney, yeah. which is actually, I would like to call the tragedy of Edmund Gurney, really. Okay, okay. I was like, this is going to be a con man. So born in 1847, died in 1888, Ooh. 40 years old. 
41 years old. Classical scholar, musician, psychologist, and psychical researcher, and founding member of the Society for Psychical Research, SPR. We're going to bring that up a couple times. Okay. okay. (laughs) Remember this one, guys. Yeah, he was uh, instrumental in sort of the founding of that society. He was born in Hersham, England, and attended Trinity College in Cambridge. Uh, He studied the classics. His original choice of vocation can you guess what it was? Oh, okay. So this better be a musician. It's a musician. Yeah, classic about- Gurney's. Gurney's just, there's something about the music. Yeah, they get this really like <laughs> classic education no matter what they do. Uh, they're allowed to do whatever they want as an adult, but all of them seem to get this really like full education of the arts. Mm. He devoted five years, uh, 72 to 77, to the piano, at which point he wrote his first book, The Power of Sound, in 1880. Ooh. And then decided, I'm a terrible musician. But a great and writer. And so he stopped. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, he didn't get to the standard of vocation he wanted to. He was never going to play in any, like, symphonies. It's just, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going somewhere else. Okay. It's not working for me. So he switched to medicine. It's probably a little bit more of a crowded market. Too, yeah, no, it, totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, too many gurneys playing too many ballasets. Yeah, too, really just too, too many gurneys. <laughs> uh, that's our problem. So, uh, yeah, he's switched to medicine, but then he also found that the hospital was a little too stressful. Really no intention of going further into medicine, but, you know, like, it's a good title. It'll probably pay well no matter what I go into. Doesn't really matter. Really, he found his interests lied in psychical research, which, again, just a weird word. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up, hold up, hold up. So you're telling me, he was like, I'm going to learn to play piano. Oh, I'm not better than everybody else. Okay, this isn't for me. I'm going to go be a doctor. I'm not better than everybody else. This isn't <laughs> for me. I'm going to go study ghosts because that's what I can be better than anybody well, else at. It started, he really liked physics, chemistry, and uh, physiology and sort of the psychology behind all of that. And he was convinced that there was uh, more to the normal limitations that we knew about psychology. Okay. Something that transcended. Like, he was interested in telepathy, in a way. In, like, what happened to your thoughts in the moment of death? Like, did they go somewhere else? Could they be captured? And... Okay, so this is less hooky than I imagined. Yeah, no, well, oh, 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 sorry, uh, Gurney, I got ahead of what myself. What he really found that the field that could really help explain this sure. was uh, hypnotism. Okay, I mean, yeah, I don't believe it, but like, yeah, no, and that's sure, fine. Sure, that wasn't as dramatic as I thought that you were going to build up to. For... He just wanted to investigate the persistence of the conscious human personality after death. That I, I think that's kind of cool. It is really cool. I'm right now, there with you. This I couldn't find a citation for. This was. This part was just on the Wikipedia added, and it was the only place I saw it, so I don't take this with a grain of salt, that uh, three of his sisters died when their barge overturned in the Nile River during a tour of Egypt. And that's, uh, their deaths somehow sort of like profoundly affected him in his research, partially fueling him to go down that path. Which maybe I believe, but it also sounds a little far-fetched. I don't know. What sounds far-fetched about that to you? The Wikipedia page is the only place that I can find this. Okay. I mean, did you see what the source was for it? The, no citations. That's what he said. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. So that's why I'm just like, mm, sounds like maybe someone added a little embellishment. But who knows? I could be wrong. Oh, oh totally. I, but I the, didn't know if like you just found like that action to be no. so absurd. And I was like, that sounds see, pretty 1800s. I did a little me. more than just go, going to the wiki yeah, page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, so did, I think it's take, solid. Yeah, take that with a grain of salt. After that, he uh, became a founding member of what would become the Society of Psychical Research. Now, in order to do that, he began research with one uh, Frederick Myers in 74. Gurney. <laughs> Have you ever been to a Fred Myers? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so uh, Gurney and Myers, along with Henry Sidgwick, Arthur Balfour, and several others, uh, subsequently sat with several mediums over a period of years 
again, mediums, basically fortune tellers, anyone, hypnotists, anyone that would have any sort of experience, or maybe there is like a hoke of truth, like a, like a hint of truth that yeah, something's little, little going on. Of truth in there. Yeah, sure. get, throw a wide net out there, like try and see what you can get. All right. So is he taking them all at face value or is he sort of like engaging More or less, them at a critical level? The, well, this is prior to the society being founded. So over a period of years, they sort of, uh, they encountered little in the way of like genuine paranormal activity. But some of the phenomena were suggestive of survival after death, which is what he really wanted to learn more about. But regardless of who was hokey and who wasn't, several of the members that were involved in this ended up uh, becoming integral members of the original society when it was founded in 1882. Okay. And I think just having the contacts in the network, that's what really helps as a whole. Gurney himself was on the SPR's governing council. Of course he was. Yeah, of course. And responsible in 1886 for the uh, writing most of the Phantasms of the Living. It's a book. It's a massive two-volume study of the evidence for telepathy. Phantasms mm -hmm. of the Living. Particularly like from title. crisis apparitions. From crisis apparitions? Yeah. Okay. So, so like, moments of... Did you look into what that was? I had no idea. I would, uh, just reading... I'd like... The I'd context like, clue that seems to me, like, at a point of high, uh, like, high stress on yourself. That's what I'm feeling. The, like, like some sort of trauma. Fear. Of scared or something mm -hmm. that they would clowning in the Nile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we did two sisters. Yeah, uh, three. No, well, all three are drowning. So <laughs> you would be with two. Oh God! Presuming oh God! And you're going down with them. <sighs> I did. But uh, oh, crisis apparitions are those that appear coincidentally with the death or life they're in crisis. Boom! Oh, we nailed it. Nailed it, Mike. I might as well join the society. Great, this isn't that hard. It's pretty easy, bro. So he started building a case to explain these as hallucinations first of mm -hmm. uh, like whoever the recipient was. Right on the and same page with exactly. them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Resulting from an impression of the agent's crisis gained via telepathy. So he started like using this as a way to sort of explain. Uh, wait, wait. So the phantasmal apparition that the person sees during the crisis, he thinks you generate through telepathy? I didn't read the book. Okay. I think the idea is that if you have a traumatic enough experience uh -huh. that that transcends death itself, it's like in the nether, but could be captured or viewed by someone and someone able to take that or find that, that's what they would consider I, okay. telepathy. I, I guess I think the biggest um, misconnect might be my definition of telepathy versus what he's talking about. And maybe I have a different sort of... Uh, that could be... I guess I didn't look at the definition of telepathy you just know in what, like the you know 1880s. What I, like, I trust you know what I'm thinking when I say telepathy. Right. Uh, and I, I just wonder if that is something kind of different. Where I'm thinking specifically maybe my mind reaching out and going into your mind or in some manner. Yeah, no, no. Um, well, I guess that's kind of the same. Because then it's sort of like, you're just saying your mind going into this phantasmal realm, this, uh, what would it be? Uh, Almethal? Alam Almethal? Oh, yeah. Kind of into that realm, the realm hey. of genes, and then bringing it kind of back in. I, I like it. I like it. Carry but, on. Uh, so he was also working with uh, hypnotists a lot, because that was a way to, like, emulate it without actually putting someone in danger. You could sort of, like, try and approach someone's self, uh, subconscious, so to speak. And put them in a state of fear or a crisis. Or, like, emulate it. Where, like... You could put them in a situation that's like not necessarily happening, but no, make no, them well, believe it is. Right, right. So I'm saying they're on their couch in a trance, and right. you're saying the house is on fire. Right, and they're right, going, right. Oh shit, the house is on fire! Right, right, like, right. And then a ghost pops up. Somehow trying to measure that. And sure. So they they went through years of experimentation trying to do this and like write down their data. And Gurney was all about this. Like he was very serious about this, and continued working with hypnosis until 1888. Now 1888. Do you remember that year? Oh, oh no, I don't. That's the year of his death. 
Oh, 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 oh spooky. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, this is, this is a good, good Halloween that you got going. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so he had several people that he uh, collaborated with that helped with his research because he can't do everything himself. Hey, you know, no, he's a busy no scientist. Uh, mm-hmm. A parapsychic. What was it? <laughs> they fucking say earlier. <laughs> 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 Uh, psychical researcher. <laughs> psychical researcher. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gurney. Uh, so we had a couple of people helping him, and in these series of tests, or starting early on, he had one George Albert Smith helping him, as well as one Douglas Blackburn. Whoa, I like that name. They're pretty good names. That sounds like like a diabolical Douglas Blackburn. Mm-hmm. He just he would be the villain in the detective story. Yep. Of course, it was Douglas Blackburn. So him and Myers tested these two people, uh, George Albert Smith and Douglas Blackburn. We'll just call them Smith and Blackburn for now. <laughs> I love it even better. Keep going. <laughs> This was from 83 to 88, so five years of research and study. Okay, leading up to his death, as yeah. you alluded to. Originally, Gurney hired Smith as a private secretary, but Smith's hypnotic susceptibility made him valuable in the experimental work as well. Whoa, 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 wait. Like, uh, experimenting on Smith? Yeah, the experiments were, like, through hypnosis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, allegedly, I think these were people that were part of the founding of the uh, society, like, bringing it together. Because it was established in 1882, 1883 is when they really started these experiments. Wait, now, so when did Smith join in? The five year, full five years prior? I, I believe so. Okay. I just want to throw this out of there right now. I think Smith is lying. You think Smith is lying? Yeah. That he's so susceptible to hypnosis. Oh. I think that man is, pl- like, I'm going to give you, I'll believe, I'm willing to take a little belief on Gurney because okay. he's coming at this more from, like, the physics angle, which I right. love, of just trying to figure out, and they might not have this same similar idea of that, like, your mind, or rather your thoughts, are part of the physical world. It is a chemical reaction in your brain. There is a weight to your thoughts, potentially. Mm. So, like, trying to figure out what happens to him when you die, I totally get, and I don't even consider that paranormal. However, I think this guy is hamming it up when he goes in like, oh, just put me under, like, huh? Right. I got nothing to go on. I just don't like susceptible to a trance state to the point where Gurney wants to keep you in there. Right, 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 right. I think you're you're pulling the wool over my Gurney's eyes and I don't appreciate it. I mean, where were you when Gurney needed you most, Derek? Because as it turns out, Blackburn and Smith were in fact lying. Get the fuck out! Whoa! Uh, yeah, so they were part of the yes. original like seance members and hypnotists, the smoke and mirrors individuals. Yeah. Some of them, you know, All there might have been some plausibility there, but for these individuals, they were just, you know, stage magicians more or less. And they were getting paid to do this. By who? By Gurney. Wait, as part Gur- of these experiments. Oh, oh, I thought you were saying Gurney was... In, but wait, are you telling me they're charlatans or they're not? They're charlatans, and Gurney thought he was collecting real data for five years. Okay, okay. Oh, no, I was really worried you were telling me Gurney was in on it. So he found out in the spring of 88. No, no, they did not kill Gurney, no, Mike. <laughs> they did not kill Gurney. <laughs> this is a pretty good Gurney. So they found he found out in the spring of 88. Yeah. He confronted them, and allegedly they confessed to him... What that they the fuck? Knowledge of theatrical trickery and stage illusion to fake tests and results. These were what Gurney built his entire reputation and study off of. And now they were worthless. What? Oh, okay. and, But they denied it. They denied it. In June, yeah. uh, June 23 of 88, Gurney was found dead. So they did kill Gurney. Of what? Now, what here's you- the thing. Yeah. It was uh, pronounced a suicide. Okay. Because he was... <laughs> You're going to think this is hilarious. He was found with a cloth. Of- <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Don't even go. Let me guess. He had a cloth over his mouth, right? It was saturated in chloroform. As one does. As one does. So a cloth over his mouth, saturated in chloroform. They found him dead that way. 
<laughs> no, here's why they think it was a suicide. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you got a follow up. Well, how, okay. how ballsy was his coroner? Chlor- chloroform wasn't anything like new for uh, Gurney. He'd actually been uh, prescribed chloroform because he had neuralgia. Like, oh, severe neuralgia. Fuck 1800s doctors. Yeah, yeah sure. So in order to, hey, like, cope uh, with the pain... You need they, some mercury to really get that flush exactly. out of your they face. They prescribed him a little bit of, like, chloroform to, like, help him, like, relax him and, like, put him to sleep easier. Because okay. he couldn't get to sleep with all that pain. Yeah. Whether it was, you know, he just pulled the trigger, so to speak, or it was an accident, or maybe there was foul play. I would go with the two options of accident or foul play, but Gurney is a goddamn renaissance man, so, like... I think a guy knew how to knew how to do his chloroform. Well, some people uh, there's some. Uh, Is there like recreational chloroform use? I actually don't know if that's a thing or not. Can you do like a little chloroform <laughs> and just sort of be hazy? <laughs> Sounds like you're a little too curious there. <laughs> asking for a friend? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm asking for a gurney. I know. Oh. <laughs> asking for a gurney. But uh, according to oh, I actually don't know who this is. According to Trevor Hall, in his study, the strange case of Edmund Gurney. Which is another book that Damn. I want to immediately read now. Uh, they argued the case that Gurney's death was suicide, resulting from disillusionment after discovering the frauds of Blackburn and Smith. Uh, Gordon Epperson argues against the hypothesis, and Janet Oppenheim concludes that the mystery is not likely to be resolved. Some of his colleagues, I think it was particularly Arthur Thomas Myers, the brother of Frederick Myers, mm-hmm. testifies the chloroform was prescribed and that at the time he was in high spirits during that June time frame. Okay. So who knows what really went on. But regardless, he died just a few months after learning that his entire, like, life's work, pretty much, was completely trash. Mm-hmm. Or, like, it was worthless. His data meant nothing. Now... Now... Oh, if, sorry, continue. Yeah, let me, let me cut in enough with just, uh... I guess I can see here that, like, those two guys, George... Is it George Albert Smith? Mm-hmm. And um, who was the Douglas second? Blackburn and Douglas? Oh, Douglas Blackburn! You guys are so fucking evil. I feel like <laughs> yeah! I called their story from the beginning. Every arc of this, I'm really vindicated in that. And um, we know for a fact they were lying because they publicly admitted in 1908 and 1911. But like, was that a crime? I mean, it wasn't a crime to really lie about it. I guess right, right. So what I'm, what I'm getting at though is like, so what ultimately like they they betrayed his trust. They did all that. What would be the purpose of murdering him? It's not like exactly like that's why I don't think there's any foul play at all. Unless, I, but I mean, your reputation did mean something completely different than it does mean now. Right. There was a little more market value. I mean, this to was. That. I mean, yeah, this was 1888. This was prior to. I mean, a lot of modern advancers in science. Yeah, where do you want to start? Yeah, uh, I mean, like, quantum physics was really established in 1901 as, like, the, the standard model. Mm-hmm. Uh, or was it 1901 or 1908? Either way, it's past this. Yeah. Blackburn actually came out in 08 and 11 and saying that, like, you know what, we did this. Like, I admit that, like, we were lying. Smith denied it, though, to his death. Okay. So, this got some shame. Yeah. And uh, they were they claim innocence to the murder up to the end? Murder was never even on the table, just that they lied. That's what they were. Oh, okay. Either oh, coming clean about no or one. No one in the time pointed a finger at them. No. Damn. It was only twenty years later that this came to light that they were in fact lying about that. Oh, uh, okay. But, but because of the circumstances, everyone like it was almost. Uh, so at the time, Gurney dies. That's sort of just it. Yeah. They don't know the inner turmoil that he was going through. Right. Right. No one. Yeah. Exactly. No one really knew. So I do yeah. think suicide is probably. Up there with the causes. I, six months later? Three months later. Three months later? Or even less. It says in the spring. It's kind of uh, 
vague on when he sure, learned, sure. but in June of that year, he was found dead. Oh man, no, I'm going, my inclinations have been yeah. dead on this whole story. Yeah. I called that those were liars. That was the charlatan. They kicked him, they killed him. I think they killed him. They had to have. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could have been, but I just don't think that that's the case. I think, who was the one, George George didn't admit it. Douglas did admit it. No, Douglas admitted it, and I uh, think, Smith I think Douglas it. killed him. And that's why he felt the need to admit in 1908. Oh. That's my that's my my closing case here. Well, that's I mean that's as good a guess as anyone's in the, the tragedy of Edmund Gurney. He seemed like a pretty stand up guy. That just trying his best. He was only was a, 41 years old when he died. That was a fucking roller coaster. Yeah, I am glad I locked in on trusting Gurney. I was like, no, I, I like his angle of research. Paranormal shit, I don't like Mike. I'm very. I'm, <laughs> I know I, you I'm don't. So but I thought you would him. enjoy this. Yeah, yeah, no. His angle, it was so physics based, and he just didn't know how to explain it that mm-hmm. he used the word paranormal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think everything he was doing was totally on the level with physics. And he just didn't have the vocabulary right. to express it. Right. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, the bonus gurney is starting to be a little longer than the, the gurney game itself. But I hope you guys are enjoying this ride as much as Derek is. I was really invested in that one. <laughs> so we got a, we got another gurney. So we got gurney pigs. We got gurney birds. Now we got gurney ghosts. I don't know. Gurney ghosts. Gur- that's gur- gurney gurney ghosts. I was like, what are you going to say? There was <laughs> nothing in that show or in the story. Gurney ghosts. Gurney ghosts. We'll there were some gurney ghosts. There's at least one gurney ghost now. Yeah. Oh my god. If you guys have a theory of like the cause of death or like the exact uh, mystery of Gurney's death, let us Way know. Way in. Yeah. For sure, because this is good shit. I think that's gonna do it for us this week. Do you guys have a come here? I got him. I got him. Giovanni. Oh. We we had him all day a week off. He's been, oh, that's right. He's been hitting the red wine. That's why his lips are so purple. <laughs> Get you back on See a little mint hat now? Let me get a little white wine in him. Here you go, buddy. Okay. All right. Ah, Mike, we got some distrans. Oh, tell me about them. It's not full, but I got, I got two in here for it. Let me put a little, uh, what do we have our encoder decoder to? Oh, ooh, yeah. The chatter in. Huh? Oh, oh okay. adorable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little bigger, too. Like, yeah. he's, he's been eating. We got to work that weight off him. <laughs> so, our first distrans, Mike, uh, it's going to be, I got some new and some old here. Ooh, wait. Uh, so this one's going to be a new one from Rick W. He's okay. reaching out to us. Uh, right. This is the first time he's written in. And uh, he started reading while listening to our show. Mm-hmm. Blown past it. This guy what? is deep into Children of Dooner right now. Oh, so, Rick, if you want to look for that Gurney quote oh, yeah. that Mike brought up earlier. Yeah, confirm if that's in Children of Dune. Because if it's not, I'm going to be really embarrassed. <laughs> you better do your research. No, I, I, I'm fairly sure it's in Children but of Dune. But when you come across it, let us know. And he sent us a, he had like, I just got questions. That's all he wanted to throw out there. And I love this. This is going to touch back to our heart mollusk episode with the, oh, thop, the Thopter the deep thopter. dive. I love the Thopters. So, uh, his first question about the heart mollusk is... Uh, do you guys think the spice being in the air of Arrakis has any effect on them in strange ways? I didn't even think about that. So I would imagine Blue mollusks. That, like, I don't know what they, if they were just feeding off of like nutrients within the air, that must, <laughs> that must be like, in the air. I was gonna say, that must be like crack. Uh, <laughs> if it gives like normal people long life, maybe they live longer. They already had like incredible long lives before. Oh, but, maybe. Like, maybe they just get a little longevity. But I, you can't take those thopters off world. Oh, <laughs> oh no. That is a great point. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's a little blue tint to your mollusk. <laughs> yeah. It's like, don't, don't take that one back. Don't it's ship. not starting up. I don't understand. You got to have like a weird carburetor that's like a uh, fucking spice filter on the front <laughs> for off-world travel. So it gets a little spice in there. Yeah. That, I think, is the biggest like, change. Yeah, the spice addiction. He goes, all right. Uh, also, if it's left alone, will it outgrow the shell? 
So oh. this one I think is yeah, more... Yeah, we, we addressed that sort of though, didn't we? Kind of that it, well, it keeps growing. So I think this kind of falls more into only I could offer sort of an answer. My impression was that it was kind of a soft shell and that it grew with the creature. Mm. Uh, not that it would necessarily shed that shell, but so like it would just kind of keep going. Uh, it could be like a lobster though too where it molts. And it just sort of like, you know, that skin falls off and then it grows a new exoskin. Right. Essentially. <laughs> I just imagine it's like, everything's fine and dandy with the thoughts you get in and like moss because it's just like popping out of the circuit board. <laughs> it's just like growing. Oh. <laughs> it's just breathing. Yeah. It's doing a mollusk thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I imagine, oh man, I don't even know. I guess you just need to trim it. I guess how fast do they grow is the real question. I don't know, but I mean, they do get huge. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just think there's got to be a maximum but like, no, size. No, no, but ultimately, I think it, the shell keeps up with it, or some form of shell replaces it each time. I like to imagine if these are in circulation in the world that like there's a maximum size to the mollusk, and that's the that's the time you know like oh this can go into a thopter. Maximum size? Yeah. Oh no, because they were like three hundred pounds. Right. You think that's how much that weighs in that thopter? Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, totally. It's like, I don't know. That's not that off from like a full engine. Yeah, but yeah. like, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Who the fuck knows? I mean, can you imagine the overtime of that veterinarian scale. going and be like, oh, gotta shave the mollusk, and there's like 500 doctors in the hangar? Like, oh, oh. Yeah, but oh. You, got, you got a laser cutter. <laughs> <laughs> You're not Yui. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Uh, last one. Great questions, though. Uh, would it be able to survive? How long and would its rhythmic pumping attract a worm? <gasps> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, That's why you abandoned the thopter when in, it lands. In that order. Would it be able to survive? No. How long? Probably a few minutes. <laughs> well, that worm's coming. Yeah. Um, Wait, the spice blows, they usually have a couple days, don't they? No, days? And, well, no, no. I've, oh, uh, I get what you're saying. You have two days once the yeah. spice blow goes off. Uh, yes and no. Uh, well, it sort of varies a little bit from the worm to get into there. Uh, so if the worm's closer, maybe like a couple hours. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess it depends. But, but like, like that, that shield wall happened to be like, they said two days was the average uh, okay. for it. And when, when Paul and Jessica landed, they just like, oh, gotta go? Yeah, no! yeah, exactly. That's what I kind of wouldn't go that, to for yeah, another one. That's, I don't like that inconsistency. It sounds weird. Or maybe that's a part of the mystery of worm theory. Uh, I'm gonna go with that for now, but I'll tell you your first answer was kind of, uh, okay. it's a little bit of a deus ex machina okay, times. Like, okay. you know, every now and then you need a worm to show up on cue for the <laughs> camera, okay? We need to look pretty for the camera. <laughs> Um, yeah, totally what I think. Then. Totally. If it, well, so they do, if that polyp was on Arrakis, mm -hmm. which we don't have the polyps in the jet stream. That's mm -hmm. only on their original world of, um, oh, it was a, a triad. I can't remember the uh, I, for, I forget. That yeah, had it for, yeah, yeah. I, at least the one, I think it's like the Fortunus triad or something. Uh, but if the polyp was in the air and maybe mm -hmm. if it landed on a cliff, that might be fine. You know, if it was suspended above. Right, right. And maybe it would act like the thumper that Paul... Uh, I mean, if it's on a cliff, it's, I mean, it's part of the rocks. It's going to be totally good. Well, right, but I wonder if it would act like the thumper. Hitting the rock and reverberating. You think so? I don't I'm think just, it would. I'm just saying, depend, I mean, it's huge. I don't know how deep the reverberation would be or how sensitive a worm. Sure. I mean, I'm just giving, like, uh, we're pulling everything out of here. So do you think there are worms just around that uh, ecological testing site where that thopter was hanging out for God knows how long? <gasps> oh, oh, touche. Okay. Touche. That's a good parry. I'm like, <laughs> nope, I don't. <laughs> but that, that would be true. Yeah. Because uh, it would be, like, pumping away. You're, you're dead right on that, man. So that was all the questions he had. Uh, 
Yeah, considering those, which those are great, Rick. I like that. Uh, he also just lets us know he's watched the sci-fi Dune miniseries. He highly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I rewatched those. I didn't like it as much the second time through, but I am so stoked for us to get back to it. They are okay. the only ones who have done Children of Dune. Right. And that's, that's the one you said James McAvoy's James McAvoy's in. So, like, I got to give it to sci-fi for that. Of, like, cool, that's the only way where I can get that fix. Uh, and I love it. All right. Um, He's currently listening. He's all up to date on a podcast. Oh, hell yeah. Loving the deep dives. And you know what he really loves, Mike? Hmm. A little gurney, gurney, gurney. Gurney, gurney, gurney. <laughs> so uh, we just want to say thank you, Rick. Appreciate those questions. We're sending them in. That's pretty fun to go through with yeah. you. Uh, and then, oh, Jim, you got one more in there, buddy? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, get out of town. All right, Mike, we got a, we got a re-message in. A re-message? Do you remember a while back we got a comic from Mark? Uh, he sent us another one. If you could, uh, why don't you throw open Discord? Uh, I dropped the, dropped it in there for you so you oh, can take sure, a look at it. Sure. Uh, in this one, it's a little bit longer. It's a little bit of a two-pager. Uh, it's more or less me getting the shit beat out of me by a chair dog. Because uh, <laughs> you, you did not take, I hate chair dogs. You They're hate, terrible. You really do. Why don't you pop that open and take a look? Okay. Mark, I made sure that I did not show Mike this before, and I am so sorry for uh, taking a while to get back to you. We've been, I've been having this one sit on the back burner for a bit. I think you mentioned that he like sent something, but I totally forgot we, to... We just couldn't fit it in that last episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I had a problem that came up in one. Uh, we were just missing everything, but I think we're back on track now. Why don't you take a look at that? This chair dog's just saying, fuck you, Derek. <laughs> you say a lot of things. You're like, don't worry, chair dog, I know best. And chair dog's like, please, just kill me. Just kill me. <laughs> oh, you bet there's another chair dog. There's a second chair dog I run into with that chair dog. So we will, uh, we're going to throw these up on our Instagram for you guys. What is this? And uh, Mike, Mark has a request for us. Where'd the monkey come from? <laughs> the, the monkey bite. The monkey bite. Remember yeah. walking around your own courtyard and a monkey bit him and he died? Oh my god! And then that happened to be the uh, the king of Greece. <laughs> that was so Reba. You were so caught up, right? and then a monkey bit him and he died. They're like, "What the fuck?" So this is pretty good. Mark, uh, he he made me an offer. Oh, oh. He, he he kind of posted his own job, and I was oh. like, "Shit, I guess I got to accept this." Okay, we what? have an official New Jersey-based show illustrator. <laughs> Hell yeah! Wait, Mark? <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be Mark for us. So, Mark, anything you send in, we'll drop it on the uh, the Instagram, the Twitter. That's pretty awesome. On our socials, keep them coming. Uh, we're moved on to our new game, so I'd love to see a couple of gurneys. Uh, oh, put them in gurney cage fight. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> oh no! Three gurneys enter, one gurney leaves. <laughs> I kind of wanted to be Ivor. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't know, Mike. Ivor's been through shit. I was just gonna say, gun Alex's been through shit. Head, you gotta pick one gurney. James is like, hey guys, let's talk about dinosaurs. <laughs> I painted these pictures <laughs> with three colors. <laughs> Aren't I so good? <gasps> He's really good though. I like his shit. Oh, God, Mike Giovanni's about to like pass out oh, here. <laughs> Give him some wine. No, come yeah, back. Mike. He's already got some red wine. Oh, okay. I noticed that if he uh, cuts to the left and he dips down a little bit, you know he's had his wine. <laughs> <laughs> if he flies straight, we got to go chase after him. Uh, Lord knows where he's gonna go. He might go on a bender or something. Oh, no. Oh, but I think it kind of brings us to an end for the week, Oh, man. my gosh. Derek, that was really else. good. I enjoyed that a lot. That was a lot of fun. Oh, it's been a while since we had uh, the distrans too. It's nice to get back yeah. into it. Yeah, with some like, some real questions. Yeah. Love it. If you guys the- have any more questions for us. Oh, yeah. Let us know if there's one we can afford. Mm-hmm. We're always on Spice World Pod and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we're also at SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. Ooh, and of course, there is always our website, SpiceWorldPod.com. And if you're looking for other ways to support the show, 
Come become a Spice Worlder. Yeah. Join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash Spice World Pod. Little sketch is going and growing every day. More try. You know, Mike, we're going to have to name a Naive sooner than later. Oh, shoot. Uh, yeah. I'm going to. Uh, a Naive El Morte? <laughs> oh. Ooh, well, I guess that position's been filled. Oh. Like next time, Patreon members. <laughs> we'll see if there's more. But that's where you can find our exclusive B2D episodes as well, the Between Two Dunes, where mm-hmm. we have Ampaliris right now. And I guess the votes are in. Yeah, Looks we like have a, We finally closed out today. Highliners is going to be the topic for the October. Guild Highliners. That's kind of exciting. So that topic too is sort of like a, a pet favorite of mine. Oh, really? And when I read that one, I was really excited to talk to you about that. Because I think it was unanimous. I was really surprised. Was it really? Yeah. Dude, we are all on the same page, guys. Love it. So wait, there. Yeah, Mike. I want my little snippet. Oh, I got a good one. Yeah. I like, you know, shuffled through the chapter a few times and then like, I pulled this one out first and then I came back and it's like, yep, I made the right call. Oh. Uh, are you ready? Yeah. Tell me. <clears throat> no Texas accent this time. <laughs> <laughs> Put that all on hold. The sound when it came started so low that their own dragging passage masked it. But it grew louder and louder out of the west. Lump, 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 drummed the thumper. The hissing approach spread across the night behind them. They turned their heads as they walked, saw the mound of the coursing worm. Keep moving, Paul whispered. Don't look back. A grating sound of fury exploded from the rock shadows they had left. It was a flailing avalanche of noise. Keep moving, Paul repeated. Mm. That's all I got. What? That's all I got. Mm. You excited to get back? Yeah! <laughs> oh my god! Have we grown too comfortable with our, uh, <laughs> our smuggler in his happy little That's ado? That's paradise, Derek. It really is. Oh my gosh, I'm I, so excited! I feel like within that one chapter, we grew a little soft, Mike. <laughs> I think you might be right. I think I might be right. So, I think we'll come back next week. And uh, till then, the the spice spice must flow. Crude, uh, crude interrogator, crude I can't say the word. Interrogatory? It's interrogatory. Interrogatory. But I'm just going to go. They were crude interrogation methods. (laughs) I exerted on Zarb.